What are you drawing? A liger. What's a liger? It's pretty much my favorite animal. It's like a lion and a tiger mixed. Bread for its skills and magic. It's an unusual kidney structure that we have. And it's only, the only other organism that's known to have that is a pig. It's a pig that has that type of kidney. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Guy America Show. Uh, we are going to be chatting with Eugene McCarthy a little bit McCarthy. later. McCarthy, yeah. that's what I said, about uh, macroevolution and stabilization and hybridization and all sorts of fun stuff like that, all sorts of interspecial breeding and fun things like that, Graham specialty. And we've got a uh, very special guest joining us tonight, all the way from New Zealand in the igloo. we got Nathan here. Hey. And, uh, but first, the one and only... Graham, I'll take my coffee black and up my ass. Down <laughs> How's it going, buddy? <laughs> I didn't tell you it was black. You had to know that was coming. Yeah, I asked. It reminds me of the jingle, right? I can't get that out of my head. Right? Butter in your coffee, coffee in your butter. Once you Put butter back. in your coffee. And now I know what the uh, <laughs> is at the end. It's, Bra- it's Graham excreting his coffee enema. Oh. Yeah, they're just talking about. We talked about this already, though. I don't yeah, understand why. I did a whole segment on the I coffee know. animal already. So I why know, is it being a big intro. deal now? It's not. Well, now people are going to wonder what we're talking about. No, they're not. And it's Nobody's going to forget. Nobody's going to forget the coffee enema. Nobody forgets. But I did get a warning email from a listener about yeah, not infection sepsis. and sepsis, and he's like, "I'm sure you've heard of this problem." <laughs> you you haven't heard of it? No. <laughs> oh, it's like some people have died from that. I'm like, what? Yeah, I've heard about that too. I heard it becomes addictive. I know what, yeah, people are saying that too. Yeah. I don't know why. Oh, <laughs> I've already done it twice. Graham's got a $20 a day fucking <laughs> coffee in him. I tried it again. He's in the bathroom. I'm in the bathroom at lunch. Just, I'm not done yet. I'll be out in a minute. Just a dealer. I have to dose this time, and it was a bit painful. <laughs> Biohacks. So I got a little, I got some gas pains this time and I couldn't hold it the whole time. So I did jump on the toilet, but I think it's because I was trying different positions and stuff and moving around. So like anal, doggy style. (laughs) 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 I guess that's not a position. So it didn't work as well. What do you mean different position? Like side, left side, right side, back, front, you know, like different positions. With, the first with, time, did you just stay still? Kind of. A little bit. I was a little leery about rolling around this time. I went Are you by, supposed over to move around? It, probably. I don't know. Didn't. <laughs> You're just swinging it? <laughs> huh. Well, that's Anyways, I started getting the gas pain, so I, had to, I, couldn't, I couldn't hold it, honestly. So, but I used a bit more as well. <laughs> black? Yes, black. Yeah. yeah. Tepid? Cold. Yeah, tepid. Yeah. These are all questions I was sent, so I'm feeling it out. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. 
Anyways, so welcome to the Igloo, Nathan. Yeah, thank you for having me here. Yeah, yeah. Been great conversations tonight. I was thinking we should have been recording a long time ago. Yeah. Mm. That's uh, always a good Yeah, looking forward to chatting a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it was um, a little uh, unexpected, actually. Darren invited me in. I was kind of like taken aback, didn't know. But um, yeah, no, I'm glad I came. And yeah, it's really... Did you, did you know that we had previously met before, Darren? No. I kind of half expected because I was in the kitchen and I seen Lisa come in here. I was like, oh, Lisa's going to know Nathan. Because remember when Tanner and Callie came here, she had known Tanner yeah. from years before they had hung out at metal shows. But uh, no, we were had planned to try and do a lunch or a dinner or something, yeah. but it didn't seem like that was going to happen. Yeah, so they're like Tanner and Callie, they're constantly busy with organizing festival things. And, you know, they sometimes go and build stages and just all planning and things going on. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's uh, they're always... Yeah, going through their things. So it's sometimes can be a bit difficult, but no, it doesn't matter. I mean, if it happens, it happens. If it yeah, doesn't, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's not off the table yet. Mm, not. And, res- and we get to podcast. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And then so you now just... your visit to the Igloo will be fucking forever immortalized on the internet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With Graham's <laughs> anal story. Yeah, and he, actually, <laughs> and, he, and he actually joined us on a, a recording tonight with, uh, that'll be coming up in a couple of weeks with um, PMH Atwater about near death experiences in her book. The manual for developing humans, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'd actually hope that this one is going to bring a little more, um, a little more of uh, answers to our evolution debate. Yeah, me too. But I don't think, not that I'm not, not taking anything away from Eugene, who was a great guest, but I don't think he was the right guest for our debate. That helped. It helped in some ways. It brought you on you board in a different way because now you're more apt to believe in a wolf and because you think a wolf fucked a fish. No, I didn't say that. You said that no, in I didn't the interview say that, that no, people are going to listen to. Not a to. fish, a mammal. A, ma- a water mammal, a seal? A water mammal. Where'd the fins come from then? What do you mean? I don't, I don't, I didn't say this. He I said think. it. Somebody's going to, I might be wrong, but I yeah. swear he says that in this interview. I'm not going to listen to find out. No, but I did, it did, did change my mind a little bit about the way evolution happens, I think. I kind of think that there's a little bit more to this hybridization. I think absolutely think. there's a ton of room for hybridization, but uh, I have trouble believing it's the main or the only. It's probably all just bits and pieces at the end of the day, you know? Funny, I did. I did get an email from um, somebody about this actually, and I wish I could show you guys this. But <clears throat> and he has you could just pick up so your computer and flip it around. He hasn't even listened to this yet. So, but I think it's appropriate to show this. Um, so I, I won't read the whole email because oh, I've seen is, that. Is that the one with the pictures of the wolfins? Yeah, it is right. actually a pretty good email altogether. But this is from Marsman again. Uh, and he says, by the way, Google uh, cetacean evolution. Click on the images. See the wolf in <laughs> He says, hey, the fossils are there. We make what we will of them. And he's got... <laughs> oh, man. Here's a little quote from Cosmic Trigger 1. Out of the 100 million buzzing, bright, busy signals received every minute, the human brain ignores most and organizes the rest in conformity with whatever belief system it currently holds. So he's got this picture, and it talks about the Pleiocene all the way through to the Agliocene. How do you pronounce that? I don't know. The Agliocene? Yeah. 
and it's uh, he's got the land mammal in there. So it looks like sort of this rodent creature who's, and I guess these are all fossils that they've found, and it kind of uh, looks like it goes from a sort of a rodent type creature, and then it slowly gets into rodent a por- purpose, like a, wolf, a porpoise kind of thing, and then there's like mm. you know it almost looks like the a little mini um, Ogopogo or. What's the other one I'm thinking of? Loch Ness Monster kind of thing, and then it gets down to the... Even though that's not what that's supposed to be. It's just a small purpose. Porpoise, I think. Purpose? The purpose and then of it the gets porpoise? To, and then it gets to killer whale at the bottom. After spending some time as a wolf. And but I don't know if it, you know, if that means that these things evolved dolphin. into one or the other. They could have crossbred and got to one or the other. Like okay, this what hybridization did the wolf crossbreed with to turn into a whale? Nah, that color image just looking exactly like a, just a giant sea dog. A sea dog. Yeah. Sea dog. Is that I like wolfen? <laughs> <laughs> I like that better than wolfen. Is a sea dog an actual thing? No. Oh. Uh, not that I'm aware of, at least. Not anymore. I didn't even know wolfen was a thing, was a thing until... No, it's um, not. It's something Darren <laughs> thinks is a thing. I don't think it's a thing. I think I th- it used to be a thing, like a theory fucking of, 500 million years ago. A theory no, of a thing. No, we're still lobsters then. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> All yeah. right. So, anyways, enjoy the chat. It'll be fun. Yeah. It's so, Nathan, what do you? Uh, what did you? I want to talk to you about your your latest experience or experiment. Yep. Experience <laughs> with the holograph. What was it? Holograph? Holographic kinetics. Yeah. Um, holographic. What is that? Well, holographic kinetics is actually a healing modality that uh, comes from the First Nations of Australia, uh, the Australian Aboriginal oh, people. Oh, that's what yeah. I've heard of before. Right? Yeah, and um, I was uh, listening some, to some podcasts several weeks ago, actually. I haven't really discovered this um, that long ago. It's only been really recent. And, uh, yeah, I was just listening to some interviews by a man named uh, Stephen Richards, or, or Steve Richards, as I think he's more known as. Um, and, um, yeah, it just went into this... Uh, particular type of energy work that um, kind of if you've got any uh, attachments you know whether it be uh, physical mental spiritual on different levels uh, you can actually go through it's like um, it's like more connected to the soul like and it can go to even different uh, maybe life incarnations as well and you can it's it's go into uh, different states and actually sever the ties from possibly entities or energies that are actually uh, affecting whatever issues you may be dealing with. You know, it may be uh, like you might be struggling with an addiction to a particular substance or, you know, something else and you're just going around in circles and you can't seem to rid yourself of what what's going on. You know, you keep trying and trying but nothing works. But it could be because that particular uh issue is connected to something else whether it may be something you've done in this life or maybe another previous life but it's there could be something within your soul uh that needs to be uh i guess released you know like um take like almost like there could be some agreement that's been formed in the, the metaphysical like you know you've got the the third dimension that we see with but then there's other realms beyond our sight that in those areas maybe like the soul agreements and yeah stuff like we've, that, we've formed uh, agreements you know um maybe unconsciously that's given some kind of 
vibrational energy or uh, some kind of entity in, in whatever way um, a foothold and like a and uh, we've consented to something that's happened um, and unconsciously to us that's what may have triggered certain things um, and it's sort of it can go it taps into things like that and goes to the root so it, it it'll go to the root of your suffering uh, and whether it's you know again something you yourself or it might even be a generational thing and it f- brings that up and actually severs that tie at the root of your soul and it uh it can free you in 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 some aspects to issues that you're suffering um i mean for myself i um yeah i just felt that uh it was something that i wanted to look into because there's so many uh healing modalities out there by you know you've got new ages and a lot of these sort of movements and like a lot of airy fairy kind of people that you know portray themselves to be certain types of spiritual workers and you know a lot of them are really just you know just bringing about stuff that's maybe not necessarily being channeled from a safe source and uh holographic kinetics it's not a it's not a new age you know um thing it's and although it's, it's although it sounds it kind of yeah it kind of does Unless sound it, except I'm, it doesn't have quantum in the name i mean if yeah it had quantum I mean, holographic kinetics and it would be yeah it, it's sort of i i mean i think that uh, what the australian aboriginal teachings they go back from what i've looked at maybe about fifty thousand years so like this is like something from you know ancient a- ancestral you know lines and and it goes it, it just um it's completely different than anything I've experienced before. I don't even know how to explain it. Anyway. It sounds to me like the uh, the hypnosis that I, was it Barbara Lamb or one of those other authors that that created this whole type of um, regressive hypnosis. And it sounds like similar to the way where she would, I think, take you back. It's like a four or five hour session, but yeah. she would take you back. And there's licensed people in Calgary here that do it actually. Yeah. And they take you deep, deep within your old, uh, old lifetimes, I guess, or whatever, to bring out your subconscious uh, attachments or something. It sounds very similar, is it? Or yeah, I guess you could say it kind of is like that. I mean, when I had the experience, I was very much conscious of everything that was going on, but at the same time, I experienced. uh, I would go back to different lifetimes, and I would actually see um, things that I've done in the past that are reasons why I've experiencing particular things now in my wow. life. Mm-hmm. And I, there was several um, moments when I had to go back. And what happens is, so the practitioner will uh, take you back to that particular, you know, well, you're, technically you're, it's not, they're not, they're not taking you back. You're, you're doing it. You're going there. They're assisting in being, you know, um, with you while you're going back that way. So mm-hmm. they're sort of, they add to, what you're doing because i mean your ultimate your soul's taking you to that direction that you want to go mm. um and so you, i i had experiences when i would go back to a particular point in my life and i'd realize that in this particular period of my life whether it was you know my incarnation now on this earth or it was pre- previously that i'd done this or i'd had something else happen to me and out of that the energy or the trauma from that um, had come into this life and it's still not been dealt with. Or there might have been some agreement with particular types of um, 
Oh, well, I don't know. Entities or? Yeah, entities or like ritualistic sort of um, practices that may have happened in a previous life. And that's still that maybe something came through and attached itself to my, my energy body, to my soul body. I've still brought it into where I am now. Subconsciously. Exactly. And um, so you'd bring it, um, you'd go to that point and then sever that tie and then release the, so you're getting your um you're letting go you're releasing that what what that is and pushing that out of your energy field and then you you can create an alternate timeline so you've gotten rid of that nasty stuff and then you go within yourself again to that point and almost like yeah make a new pathway so that doesn't like that old is no longer it never existed right, right. because you've chosen something else and that completely changes, changes everything you. yeah absolutely you know i mean i had uh i had one thing that i'd been struggling with for a long time and um i went um i i don't even remember what particular point it was that the practitioner was um assisting me with but something had happened um in oh again i i, I can't exactly uh, remember the particular, you know, point in time um, in my Past my now. journey of my, yeah. the, my soul journey where where this happened or at the, in the session because everything it's just like you know it's not like you get um, subconsciously this is happening because of this you know it's not you're getting not like linear. specific you know but it's like it just things just keep going bang 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 and all kinds of things could be getting dealt with but you're not you know. It's not like the, at the end of the session that the, the practitioner says, this was, um, you, you know, dealt with because of this particular issue. That, that's none of that. It just, there's all kinds of things that'll come up. I guess it's like a, there's a lot of intuition in that as well. Like, because, you know, this particular person is tapping into energy and tapping into, you know, the source, you know, tapping into the universe to assist with this, you know, the, the client needs to go to a, a particular place so it's almost like um yeah you know synchronizing with you know both people the client and the the practitioner to deal with whatever needs to be dealt with um but i had um yeah i had some issues with my own life that's i've been going through for wow probably 18 or 19 or more years and um i had no idea you know why i was keep continually going in circles and dealing with this you know it's just really weighing me down and uh, i went to when i was at the holographic kinetic session um at the end of it i um i sat up and like i felt like i i can't even remember the the last time i felt so pure like i had so much clarity within this part of my body within energy, you know, like, it's like I'd just been completely cleaned. Like, it's like almost a coffee like... coffee enema? <laughs> I've never experienced one of them, so I really <laughs> can't put that down as... <laughs> but, People um, say the same thing about them. I bet they do. It could be possible. Um, I guess you kind of like, it's almost like your soul has been reintegrated back as you again mm -hmm. as a whole and all all things that are not you are not a part of you are not part of you know your journey 
that are supposed to be there, are, you know, you, you're consenting to them to be taken away. You're saying, yes, I don't want you anymore, you know, and I'm, and I'm speaking these things. So it, you're like consenting to that tether to be cut. And in that, then these things, whether it be an entity, an energy, or, um, you know, or, be, or, or like a traumatic behavior or PTSD from a past absolutely. life or something. Like. This is perfect for pe people that suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder as well. Yeah. yeah. Lots of, um, uh, people that actually have had that and have actually go to these things as well, but it's not just, it's not just limited to like, you know, um, small psychological or you know, hell big psychological issues. It can go like in sort of more, uh, spiritual aspects which is kind of like what i've experienced but at the same time it does affect the mental um process of the mind as well mm. it makes me think of a deeper a, a deeper system of um or not system but a deeper analysis of like the, the buddhists talk about like i was doing this meditation the other night about it was mindfulness of the mind and body and i right. was talking about how when you hear a sound or when you yeah have a thought or you you know you try to label things based on your memory and your experience right. in the past and it's almost like that's just the surface level of what you're talking about where yeah. if you go deeper totally you yep. have these yep. behaviors and traits and stuff based on experience yeah. and memories from the past past yeah. like the, yeah well the i deeper mean past. i i um i even saw things happening to me that i never knew even happened like even in in this when i was a child um, you know, even from being born, I was taken back to experiences and I'm like, I didn't know this was happening. You know, I never knew this happened. And the reason these particular things that I'm so I've been suffering from are coming from those kinds of things that happen. You know, it could be like um, neglect or something that happened to you when you were young and you've carried those energies with you and you just... You, you'll never know about these yeah. things, you know, until yeah, you, you can't remember them consciously. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, it, it's, it's a real, um, it, it's kind of new to me, the whole type of modality. Um, but I, even right now, like it's been about what a week and a half or close to two weeks afterwards. Uh, and I still have to stop myself sometimes and actually just be aware and conscious of my whole body and everything I feel and my thoughts and realize that, all the traffic in my mind, you know, I mean, we've, we've got, sometimes we've got so many thoughts going through our mind. We're trying to just like, oh, sift through them. And, but for the most part, the traffic's gone. Like the, wow. lots of, I don't know, I, I don't know what it was, but something was just like clouding a lot of, you know, I, I mean, I, I had moments here and there that I could really um, ground my mind and, you know, go into that, you know, whether it be a meditative state or something that, I was just, you know, taking control, but this is different. And this, like, your thoughts affect other parts of your life. You know, your thoughts affect other parts of how you feel in your body. But um, I, I'm still blown away by, like, sometimes I have to stop and sit down and just really think about, you know, what I'm experiencing right now at this point. And I'm, like, uh, blown away because I just, I don't... I, I honestly still don't really know how to explain it properly. Mm -hmm. You really just have to experience it for yourself. You know, mm -hmm. that's, yeah. Hmm. Something for ground to try out. Yeah, I'll try it out. Where was it at? In BC? Uh, well, there's, Victoria or something? Yeah, yeah well, there's um, the, the guy, Steve Richards, uh, he's based in Australia. So he's the, he's the man. He's half um, Australian Aboriginal and he's half, I guess, Caucasian. I'm not completely sure, but... He um he's br bringing it this particular healing 
uh, work into the modern world, and he um, he goes around and trains people who want to become practitioners. Right? Does he use a didgeridoo? I am not sure, but I, I I wouldn't be surprised if maybe it's quite possible. Well, he didn't on um, you, anyways. Hmm? He didn't on you, anyways. No, hell no, no. But I wasn't. See, I wasn't. Oh, worked right, on yeah, by yeah. Steve no, Richards. No, but I thought maybe he, his disciple worked. Oh, on right. No, 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 she. No, no, disciple. not at all. <laughs> That's the word you're gonna go with. <laughs> Yeah, um, there's a woman that does it in Victoria on uh-huh. Vancouver Island, and there's another woman that does the sessions in Vancouver itself. So, oh, cool. You, I mean, I, I, I did a little web search, just used the um, search engine and typed in Holographic Kinetics yeah. BC or Vancouver, and it came up with a few websites. I contacted them, and they were like, yeah, we, I can help you out. So I kind of intuitively felt like I want to go with this person more so. You know? mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, but I think because... Um, <clears throat> In at the end of August to the start of September, Steve Richards is actually going to be in Edmonton. So if anyone wants to actually become a practitioner for HK, he can actually train people to do that. Yeah. We'll send Grandma up. We'll have her own little practitioner. Yeah. Mm. Subscribe to the show, donate to the show, and I'll, uh, I'll go up there. Hey, <laughs> I got... Uh... You got voicemail. Oh, Yo, you got a voicemail. All right. We well, thanks it. for uh, thanks for that, Nathan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I want to yeah. try that out. Yeah, absolutely. Really, you do too. Keep talking. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, Darren's got a voicemail. I got a rant. I got a grant coming up. Oh, I have a jingle for that. Oh, yeah. Okay, we'll use the jingle. That's perfect. This is from the King of Jingles. Is a voicemail? Yeah. I made a new voicemail link too. Grammarica.ca slash voicemail. We don't really plug it very often because Darren usually gets them and then forgets about them anyway, so then we forget to plug them. So if you've left a, vo- left a voicemail in the past, sorry for not responding or playing it. Synchro time. Oh, boy. Uh, this is an anonymous synchro. <laughs> so here's the setup. I had gone to a thrift store and I um, found this uh, audio amplifier device. Uh, it looks like a little pacemaker and you basically wear it around your neck and you can plug into it with headphones and it amplifies sound. So it's for people who are hard of hearing, right? So you can wear it around your neck and you can isolate the frequencies and, you know, sounds dangerous. be able to hear people a little bit better. I bought it just for kind of fun, just to be able to kind of do some goofy audio stuff with it. Oh boy. Like listen to birds in the backyard with it or whatever. Uh, so me and my wife and my sister all kind of joked and called it the Whisper 3000. It's really called like a Radio Shack audio amplifier, something generic. But we jokingly called it the Whisper 3000. Whisper 3000. Uh, and my sister, she wanted to take it to work and uh, spy on people a couple cubicles down, but I never <laughs> let her borrow it or whatever. So we called it the Whisper 3000. So months and months and months go, go by, and then I'm at another thrift shop, and I see, uh, I see another one of these audio amplifier devices, right? And the name brand of it was actually called the Whisper 2000. No. So it's called the Whisper 2000. That's not the synchro yet. I took a picture of this Whisper 2000 little device so I could show my wife and say, haha, isn't this kind of funny? There's actually a device like the one I have, and it's called the Whisper 2000, right? So we had always joked and called it the Whisper 3000, okay? So... Uh, that same day after the thrift shop and the picture, me taking the picture of the Whisper 2000 device, I go over to my sister-in-law's house. My wife's there, 
and we're all sitting around and I hadn't showed her the picture yet. Uh, but my wife looks out the window and we see my brother-in-law out the window and we see him kind of texting on his phone and hear him talking or something. And my wife jokingly says, oh, we need the Whisper 2000 to be able to hear him outside. And I go, oh my gosh, Synchro City. I pull out my phone and I show her the picture of the Whisper to the, the picture that I took of the Whisper 2000 from the thrift shop. So I go, oh my gosh, total synchronicity because you just said Whisper 2000. We were always calling it the Whisper 3000 and somehow, some way, she just called it the Whisper 2000. On that same exact day, I had taken a picture of the Whisper 2000. Uh, it was kind of a synchro. Uh, so that's my synchro. Rate it. Have at it. I want to shout out to my buddies Sam and Andrew from Genoa City, Wisconsin. They listen to the show as well. Love the show. They love the show. I love the show. Uh, rate the synchro. You guys' show is awesome. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. That Thanks. was that's pretty amazing. Thanks. Mr. Can I add Anonymous. to that? Can I add to the compound part of the synchro? That Nathan has a thrift shop. Nathan was just telling us about. He was trying to figure out if it was a synchro or not. Mm. And now it is in get, a way. Yeah. You know, saluting to it being a synchro. Yeah, makes so me I, think that something's gonna you know, happen. Just to before me. the show, you were doing a thrift shop yeah, synchro. Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead. And should, I'm you, gonna give... should you play it? I mean, should you just mention it? Or... Can I rate? Sure. Well, no, it's not done yet because it's part of the compound thrift shop synchro. Okay, fine. You can't just rate okay, it on its own. It's connected now. It's now connected. It's connecting you. It, it's a to, minimum to a synchro that he has no idea how good it is. So. With, Graham it doesn't be, matter. Graham it adds be, to it no matter what. Graham could be tanking your sink. No, it he adds to it no matter what. The case. I hope that's not the case. Okay, let's hear it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, no pressure. <laughs> so I guess now it seems to be a sink group. Um, <laughs> yeah, so next week. It wasn't even rateable before the show. <laughs> <laughs> next week, uh, I'm going down to Montana to pirate party festival and earlier today uh i was with a friend of mine and we went thrift shopping um anyway we went to i think it was the salvation army store um not too far from downtown and uh yeah we walked in and we went around to near where all the uh i guess you know your mugs and your glasses and stuff like that we walked around to one aisle where there was all like the plates and bowls and things like that and i happened to look down at this uh just a standard you know dinner dish a plate and the design on it it said montana across the front or on the top i should say of the plate and i'm like oh okay that's strange because i'm going there next week it's the first thing i thought of as soon as i saw it though I didn't really think too much of it. When we were in around the corner of just to the end part of the um, the aisle, and there was another similar size plate, and on the top, and like there was a design, you know, around it. It said Spokane, Washington State, and I'm like, well, that's kind of creepy because the particular area where I we will be camping, me and you know the guys from the Janessa project will be at. A place it's like I think it's like an hour and a half or two hours drive from Spokane and in Montana and uh, I just thought that was really strange but then uh, just before uh, um, yeah Graham said Montana just and I didn't say anything and then we've got this um, 
thrift shop. What? Yeah, I was, and shop. it's like, it's like, whoa. But was, you also had a weird feeling about about that about, about your trip. From, yeah, I, from I just that. sort of. So I almost feel like. Your... Yeah, I almost feel like. Well, what does that mean? I kind of feel like now I have to prepare myself. Like I feel like something's mm. going to happen to me. Like I mean, I've already had some amazing experiences happen to me on my vacation here so far, but. It's like it hasn't even finished, you know. I've still got time, and I'm like, well, what's going to happen next, you know? But in that, it's like I'm, I don't really have any expectations. I just kind of just take every day as it comes. So we'll see. Like, I'll just have to report back if it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sweet, nice. Six. There you go. You can't, you can't degrade it. It just adds to it. Does it? Yeah, I don't know that it does. <laughs> of course, it does. I need a Felix. What are the chances you hear two thrift shop synchros in the same, or even two thrift shop stories? Well, that's a week old. When were you in the Doesn't matter. Shop? We just listen to it now. This is the time. This is the place. <laughs> yeah, we just listen okay, to it I now. Need a Felix and eight. Okay, that's it. Point five. A whisper two thousand. Eight point two. All right. It was going to be a nine. Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you say you had a grant? Yeah, I got a grant. I got a grant, Jinko. Yeah. Oh yeah it's going to take me a minute to get to, so you guys talk about something for a second because I have to switch. Cause this fucking well, do you want me to do the, the UFO quote in the meantime or something like that? Or do you uh, want no, to? I already switched it. I could. Oh, I can't even do that. Hmm. Everything that you could ever need to know about the show. That's not the it. Show That's not it. Everything that you could ever need to know about the show. There you go. Show notes. So go on over to Take a look around and see what you can find. Okay. Okay. Darren's just obsessed with jingles nowadays, thanks to everybody in the chat room creating. I'm looking for the. They're doing a. They've got a little jingle contest initiated in there. In the chats not in the chats now but in the perpetual chats if we haven't mentioned that already i think the chat link is in the show notes everything you need to see is in the show notes i'm looking for the rant jingle and they have uh this is how prepared <clears throat> Durant is well i didn't know you're gonna have a rant and i'm not at all prepared because you I, said you I'm had all these so jingles and you're ready i'm so many jingles behind uh Anyways, we did want to do a shout out to the chat room who's got this jingle initiative going on uh, about the new black budget support feed. That's a new link, a new th that we have uh, for supporting the show. Extra content. I think we got about seven episodes in there now. We're going to do a couple extra ones a month. We've been wanting to put out extra content for a while. And that's the way we're going to do it. So anybody that donates to the show, any one-time donation or any monthly subscription actually will just get you access to that link. So that's the way we're going to try and budget things here um, and grow the show a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds good. Help yeah. us pay off totally. the debt and yep. maybe, uh, yeah, improve the, improve the setup we got here. Yeah. Absolutely worth it though. For sure. Mm. Yeah, and the content will be a little more controversial, probably, and a little bit more creative. And nothing will change here in the normal Gramerica. Yeah. That's the plan. Nothing changes here. Yeah. You'll still get some bonus shows. You'll still get all the other shows. And Darren's still searching for the, I can't the jingle. Find I can find so many jingles, but not that jingle. Did you just search rant? I didn't search rant. <laughs> <laughs> I think I got it. Here it is. 
sounds like James. Go ahead, buddy. So, so last game of the hockey season before the playoffs. That was it playoff time again? Yeah. You have playoffs like three times a year? Well, this is the summer league, right? This is the more important. This, this is the bigger league, right? This is summer where, league? Yeah. Is this that hockey story you wanted to say? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So last game of the playoffs, we're up 5-1 or something like that. And I think uh, either we scored or they scored. We were already, the, the game was almost over. We were kicking their butt. That's why you tell the story. Old. You want to say you kicking butt? No. Okay. So we have a, t a family that plays on the team, right? If a guy, he's like 56 or something. A family? He's like 10 years or older a than family me. guy. 10 years older or nine years older now, I guess. Nine. That's another topic for tonight. Fading fast. Thanks to all the people in the chats wishing me the wrong happy birthday because of Darren. He's got everybody thinking I was 50. <laughs> <laughs> You're close. So anyways, and he plays with a few kids. His uh, kids are on the line as well. It's pretty... They're, you know, they're a really good line. It's pretty fun, right? Dad and a couple kids. These are on your team or against you? On our team. On your team. So we find out this guy gets a five-minute penalty, five-minute major mm. for calling a guy a fag. Right? And this is a new rule. I knew about the rule. Right. right? There's a rule. You're not supposed to call anybody yep. fags, right? Yeah. I, I, I don't like hate speech either, right? Like, I, you know. But you get all wound part. up in hockey. And, like, when we were kids, like, you call people fags. You don't really mean... Yeah, it's all dirt fag. It's, it's just a form of speech. You know what? What do you call it? A politically correctness. <laughs> so, so I thought that, that that he was called. So, anyways, I'm pissed off because it's five minute penalty. Then they <laughs> yeah. score. They score like three goals, and we lose six five. And I had a rant in the dressing room because I heard that he was called old. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you're gonna call a guy old, and then he calls you a fag back, and he gets the five minute and the lifetime suspension. Like, we don't even know. Some guy got, like, many game suspensions for this. Oh, this guy might be suspended? For so if he's guy. retaliating from somebody calling him old, because he is, he's like 56, right? But I mean, well, so what if a guy called me short? Old now, buddy. What if a guy called me short? He's only and I called years him, older than you. Is that, is short any worse than fag? Or is old, or any better than fag? Or is old any better than fag? Uh, technically, yes, it's. Why, though? Who, who makes the rules here? That what's, what's hate speech and what's not? Trudeau. Does he? He does right now. Well, but do you, do you know what him. I mean? Though, like, uh, it's it's a yeah, bit, it's totally. a bit like not where do you where do you draw the line? Like, you can call somebody old. You can call someone that's ageist. You can call them old, but you can't discriminate on their edge. On their on their gender um, preference. Pronoun. No, no, no. That's not a pronoun. It's <laughs> just about their. What do you call that when you're your your uh, your fluidity or whatever you gender call that? Fluid? No, no, no. no fluid. You're um. Your preference, like you, yeah, I prefer right. guys. Sexual. Your sexual preference, not your, not your gender preference. Your yeah. sexual preference. You prefer guys. Oh my god! I'm just using it as an example <laughs> that I'm that I'm a fag, right, or gay, right? Okay. You shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. What's the name for that? Your sexual preference, right? Here he goes with the jingles. Broken. Okay. That's anyways. So, it's a spam grab jingle because I want people to email you. But it's a bit of a concern, a, right? A when you make rules and laws about this stuff, like nobody would, you know, nobody would get upset when I was playing 
hockey as a kid or even as a young adult, yeah. if you got you call each other names, you get things get heated and you call each other names, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm not making excuses for calling a guy a fag. So then we go to play the first playoff game. So he's suspended for three games. Playoff time. Five-minute major penalty, and he's suspended for three games for this. And we don't know the whole full story. So I'm thinking he's retaliating for, for being called old. And I find out the true story. What's the true story? This guy scored. Did he score? I can't remember who scored, but it was after a goal. Right. And some guy goes, you're beautiful. <laughs> he called him beautiful. So this old guy, right, <laughs> says, are you gay? And that was the penalty, a five-minute penalty. So he didn't call him a fag? No, he called him, he's asked him if he was gay. He, he got a penalty for asking a question. Yeah, because he's like, you're beautiful. And he's like, are you gay? Was he inquiring because he's interested? I don't he know. I mean, I, I don't know, but. Hmm. I, I wish you wouldn't have had to say fag so many times to get there. <laughs> That's just tough. Yeah. But Why? Uh, what do you mean? I'm just, we're just telling stories I here. Really like, it's not, I don't have anything against them. We used to call, like, the, the British called cigarettes fags, right? All the time. Yeah, and what was it? Just a, oh, a bundle of sticks? That, cigarettes? No, no. Faggot, that term? That's, oh, I think it's derived from a bundle yeah. of sticks, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. So anyways, I mean, I don't know what's worse. Which, one, which scenario is worse, the fake part of it or the real part you of it? But either way, he got, that either way, he got three game suspension for saying, are you gay then? After he got called beautiful, hard sarcastically. Time. So was that is that better? Any better? Any After worse? Me. Calling a guy beautiful sarcastically? Did the ref hear him? I guess yeah, yeah. The ref had to have hear him, heard him, right? The ref called, made the call. It's in the huh. rule book. Like it's a new, a fairly new rule, right? Ah. Huh. So what well, is he can't the be hate speeching. I know, but who decides PC. what's hate speech? And calling right. me short is obviously not hate speech, right? No, because right. it happened. I mean, I've been called old before too. Like yeah. years ago, I was I called, called old. You both like, now, you know, last week. <laughs> what? what, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make a lodge a formal complaint to Darren. Well, it's in the workplace well, too. I could get well, all kinds of trouble. <laughs> what I was to- I was talking to about to Darren about earlier, right? With all these kind of stuff, and not many people just look into the roots of some of these kinds of things and. If you go back to looking in, um, into the, what, the Frankfurt School of Social Engineering, mm-hmm. I think it, was, it came about in the 1920s, if I'm right. I could be wrong, but um, yeah. Yeah, like, I think it was back then. Yeah, yeah, like, I mean, they had like a, almost like a manifesto they created where they were wanting to basically destroy society, you know, over time by doing, putting uh, these kinds of like, uh, I guess almost like, forms of mind control or, or ways to like, um, you know, influence different parts of society and families in, in certain ways. And a lot of the things going on to this day can be traced right back to social engineering. It's like one of the root, you know, reasons for particular issues, you know? And I think, yeah, like exactly what you've just to- spoken about. I think that kind of fits in with it, you know, cause it is partially like, goes into like social um sorry what is it politically correct you know it's like someone's offending me so you know it's like so <laughs> i just yeah sometimes i'm ba- baffled when it comes to 
Yeah. I struggle with it a little bit because, I mean, I did grow up with the sticks and stones may break my bones, but names yeah. will never hurt me thing, right? Try. And I tried, to, you know, we tried to be strong against yeah. that, but it does affect people, totally. right? Like yep. hate, yep. hate speech does affect people. Yeah. And, and it, I, and I, yeah. Where do you draw a line between hate speech and free speech? That's a tough one, True. right? Because yep. I do sure. believe there's a metaphysical. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like a, casting a fucking yeah. spell on somebody, exactly, right? Or being negative. I mean, you, it's, yeah, it's like that, right? A bunch of people like 30 times in a row. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. like No, but there's got to be context about it. I'm telling yeah. a story, yeah. right? Mm. Like sp- you, spelling. So that's why it's because it's spell. It's you're casting spells when oh, you speak. Fuck that. I never put you that know, together. That's why it's called spelling. Ever... Um, you know, you look into. I think it's etymology. I think that's right. I could be yeah. wrong, but um, yeah, like it. You, there's lots, lots of information about um the meanings of words and how uh, about five thousand five thousand years ago they meant something completely different, and then. Um, probably another, only another thousand years from where we are now. So go a thousand years back, and then they became something else. And now what they are now, words are completely different. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah. And it's yeah, but a lot of the root words we use, or sorry, the roots of some of the words that we use, have meanings that we, I guess, on an energetic level, we still feel, but we don't know why we. Yeah. We're getting these, yeah. you know, like someone will say something to another person and they'll be like, it almost feels like a, 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 a knife, you know, like yeah. within yourself. It's like, it really hurts. Yeah. Why does it hurt like that? Well, because there's power in that that's spoken and it's like it pierces. So, so even acknowledging that, right? Yeah. Let's say there's power, negative power in words like yeah. hate speech. Just casting spells so who, over someone. So who, who polices that though, right? Who's responsible for right. catching that trend of... Yeah. Like you're saying, words change meanings all the time, right? Yeah. So when fag changed from like a meaningless yep. slur yep. in the 80s mm. to an actual like sort of more of a f- yep. more of a harder form of hate speech in the 2000s, yeah. Who who who's who's monitoring? Who catches yeah. that? You know, there's that. someone that's sitting there dealing with all this and putting this stuff out, and you know. And the way, the, the the problem I have with it is it doesn't feel organic, right? right. Like I think that. We should be ridiculing hate speech or right. or ostracizing hate speech in an organic way instead yeah. of forcing rules and laws to conform with that. Totally. That's the that's my sense of it. It might be a good time to play like a, a snippet from Rockefeller's nineteen ninety one speech. Yeah. I'll even wait to play that. Do you want me to play that? I'm not I haven't been waiting too long. Just play it. I don't know if we can hear it, but we are grateful to the Washington Post. Actually I should just uh, read it and then I'll play it. David Rockefeller. Dead air. Dead air. We are grateful to the Washington Post and New York Times, Time Magazine, and other publications whose directors have attended our meetings and have respected their promise of discretion for almost 40 years. It would have been impossible for us to develop our plan for the world if we had been subject to the bright lights of publicity. But the world is now more sophisticated and prepared to march toward a world government. Pretty interesting, eh? To create a world system of financial control in private hands. Yeah. Able to dominate the political system of each country and economic economy of the world as a whole. Should I play it? Yeah, play it. Come on, what the fuck? No one wants to praise his media allies. But his confidence that his words would not leave the room was later broken. We are grateful to the Washington Post and the New York Times. 
Time magazine and other publications whose directors have attended our meetings and respected our policies of discretion for almost 40 years. It would have been impossible for us to develop our plan for the world if we had been subject to the frank-minded publicity. But the world is now more sophisticated and prepared to march toward a world government. It reveals that these men aim to create a world system of financial... I don't know if that sounds fake now that I listen to it. I'm not 100% sure that's legit, but I pr I'm pretty sure it is. I think I've seen that before quite yeah. a while ago. Yeah. Actually, probably in that documentary. Think so? Yeah. Sweet. So but it sweet. makes sense, kind of. That was back in the early 90s. Right, so, I yeah. mean, there's all, you know, there is fucking hands behind the whole thing. Oh, totally. There's, there's, I think that there's money going into it. Absolutely. The, you know, influence different generations. You know, every generation, something happens and you know and it's just like how do we get here because <laughs> there's some kind of influence behind the scene and yeah young minds young minds are easily co-opted what uh are we almost ready to get out of here did you guys, sure, did you guys you wanna, do we this? should probably do the ufo quote i didn't do that yeah. did i did a little bit of this thing i did a little bit of the support spiel while you were searching for jingles yeah oh i'll play should i play so the guys started uh, did you tell them about the jingle contest yeah i did in the chats the perpetual chats, not the chats to this recording right now, but the perpetual chats, grammarica.ca slash chats to get into the perpetual chats. Where the fuck is the uh, text from? Jeez, Jaren's on it tonight. Oh, so here's the birthday, the birthday shout out to you from your parody account. I have a parody so account. Grams calves. They were pretty ripped. What the fuck? How did that happen? That was me. That's fake. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's fake. Graham's calves made it. Someone's made a fake account. That sounded like me, though. It is. So, big shout out to Graham's calves. <laughs> wow. <ripped. laughs> wow. That was a happy birthday jingle. Yeah, thanks, guys. I almost forgot about that. Anyway, here's the one from, uh, so here's one of our entries for the new, so what it is, is people are trying to make bumper music or intro music for the black budget feed. Here's one of the entries. is now in session. Welcome, congressmen and congresswomen. You have been invited to the special sitting of this congress because of your donations to one of the greatest podcasts in the land, the Grimerica Podcast. And now I invite you to please take your seats as we welcome our chairpersons, Mr. Darren Grimes and Mr. Graham Dunlop. And welcome to the Grimerica Black Budget Support Feed. <laughs> That's awesome. Not done yet. Yeah, it is. I like it. That was the same jingle? Uh, 
Wow. Yeah. That's very creative. That was pretty Holy. good. Oh, I was listening to it in my truck and it just kept going and going. I was like, this is awesome. So we'll do one of those every show for a while, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get caught up now because I have three. No, 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 no. Just save it. Save it for next week. Save them. Think so? Yeah, yeah. We're going to have to decide. No, no, no we're not going to do three. Yeah, we'll decide in a, in a month or so. I got to play one of Felix's now. No, just next week. No, we'll save them. Yeah, here it is. This is a good. Then one. it's not fair to all the other people that you didn't play. That's why you do one of well, them and spread two. them out. Oh, you know, <laughs> you had many. I thought they're all from the same person. <laughs> but uh, they they wanted me to to drum up a okay, lot more okay. people because we haven't talked about it. They've just created it amongst themselves. Right. Okay. Black budget stream. Merrily, 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 nothing in life is free. Row, row, row your boat, cry America, black budget stream. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. Row, row your boat, cry America, black budget stream. Get on. So that's a couple of them. I got a couple more from Felix. We'll play next week. But yeah, let's try and get some more than two people in on this. Yeah, for sure. And that's how. That's just what we'll do. I won't bother ever making anything. We'll just use the ones you guys sent. Yep, that sounds good. Anything else? Yeah. Well, we got the. Uh, I still haven't oh, the finished UFO the UFO quote. Damn UFO quote. I've been trying to phase that out. What do you just not letting it happen. <laughs> Kicking and screaming. You're going to phase out the no, fa- not, people's favorite part of the show? I'm not phasing out anything. I was going to do one from Budapest in 1994, but I think I, I just scrolled down here and I think I've got, I've got one from Dr. Werner von Braun, which seems a little more appropriate for the show for some reason. Why? I don't know, we're just talking about Rockefeller and like all this control and then Von Braun's kind of in that elite echelon of the Nazi. You know. Yeah. Antifa, the Nazis. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Did we talk we didn't talk about Antifa being nah. Nazis on this show though. Nah. We probably shouldn't even say that. Go on with okay. your <laughs> <laughs> We find ourselves faced by powers which are far stronger than we had hitherto assumed. And whose base is at present unknown to us. More I cannot say at present. We are now engaged in entering into closer contact with these powers. And in six or nine months time, it may be possible to speak with some precision on the matter. And that was Von Braun reflecting on the deflection of the U.S. June 2nd rocket from orbit in 1959. Bango, bango. Jeez. There you have it. What's that? Like the speak secret space program back then deflecting rockets? Or is he thinking more E.T., I wonder? He's thinking E.T., I think. You think so? I got the feeling he was thinking of a faction of, like, you know, the Nazis or something, maybe. Like, think we are so? now engaged into entering closer contact with those powers, and in six or nine months' time, it may be possible to speak with some precision on the matter. I don't know. Ah. And whose base is at present unknown to us. Huh. Far stronger than we had assumed. Hmm. 
Interesting. Wouldn't that be weird if, like, all these... There's, like, a weird galactic space war going on with Nazis that left planet fucking 70 years ago? Well, that's... Yeah. It makes me think of that movie, Iron Sky. <laughs> I love it. I know. It's I'm, awesome. I'm, yeah, the second one comes out next year, I think. Oh, does it? Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. It's Iron Sky. Iron Sky. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a, it's almost a parody in a way, yeah. but it's, it's a movie about the secret space program. Like the Germans are on the moon, right? Mm. The Nazis are on the moon. They have this base and they have UFOs going back and forth and all that. But at some point they get into the, 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 the there's some really interesting. Yeah, well, don't spoil it. No. I'm going to watch it. Yeah. No, no, I gotta. No, it's just like, you know, watch no, no, it's hard to find actually. Oh, so yeah. you're not going to end up watching it. I'll find it. No, you won't. <laughs> So there's a point when I'm a there's a point when there, the there's a point I'm when there's sure like intergalactic war, but all the nations from Earth get involved and they all come forward with their like secret spaceships that were all like hidden, right? So that they're all coming forward with their. This is the best. It's I don't know. They're all pretty lame. Huh. The Nazis have their like traditional flying saucers and stuff. It's really it's kind of an interesting. Yeah. Show. So, think, is, I, so is that number two to put on my must-watch movies? Yeah, I'd watch Iron it at least Sky once. And. Quest and, for the Holy uh, Grail. And uh, Quest for the Holy Grail. Four years, I still haven't watched the Quest for the Holy Grail. I have a clip Grail. ready to go from that right here. You don't get clips. Can, can, I, talk, can I put it on here? A clip. We'll, we'll, we'll just, we'll just end it. Oh. Yeah, let's see. I want, I, want, uh, I want Nathan's take on this because he's okay. kind of involved in this kind of social, uh, geopolitical stuff. Jiggle it. Jiggle the handle. Oh. Yeah, right there. Sounds like, sounds like Star Wars. Old woman! Man! Ma'am, sorry. What knight lives in that castle over there? I'm 37. What? I'm 37, I'm not old. Well, I can't call you man. You could say Dennis. I didn't know you were called Dennis. Well, you didn't bother to find out, did you? I did say sorry about the old woman, but from behind you looked... What I object to is you automatically treat me like an inferior. Well, I am king. Oh, king, eh? Very nice. And how do you get that, eh? By exploiting the workers. By hanging on to outdated imperialist dogma which perpetuates the economic and social differences in our society. If there's ever going to be any progress... Dennis, there's some lovely filth down here. Oh! How'd you do? How'd you do, good lady? I'm Arthur, King of the Britons. Whose castle is that? King of the who? The Britons. Who are the Britons? <laughs> well, we all are. We are all Britons. <laughs> and I am your king. I didn't know we had a king. I thought we are an autonomous collective. You're fooling oh. yourself. We're living in a dictatorship. A self-perpetuating autocracy in which the working classes... Oh, there get... you go, bringing class into it again. Well, that's what it's all about. <laughs> Only people will Please, say... please, good people. I am in haste. Who lives in that castle? No one lives there. Then who is your lord? We don't have a lord. What? I told you, an anarcho-syndicalist commune. We take it in turns to act as a sort of executive officer for the... Yes. But all the decisions of that officer have to be ratified at a special bi-weekly meeting. Yes, I see. By a civil majority in the case of purely internal affairs. Be quiet. But by a two-thirds majority in the case be of... Be quiet. Major... I order you to be quiet. Order, eh? Who does he think he is? King. <laughs> well, I didn't vote for you. You don't vote for kings? Well, how do you become king, then? The Lady of the Lake. Uh, okay, we'll stop it here, because he gets into the... watching Monty Python on the show yeah. again. Oh, it's just hilarious, because, you know, the king, who... 
you know, who are the kings? Who are the Britons? Well, we're all Britons, and I'm your king. Maybe I should just not watch. And it. he talks about the anarcho syndicalist commune, right? Like yeah. they're this, you know, yeah, society of anarchists. But they're the same rules <laughs> they don't, as the American. He's like, Senate. what? You don't have a lord? <laughs> and they have the yeah. same rules as the American Congress. Do they? A simple majority on on small matters, and a two thirds majority on major matters. That's pretty funny. I didn't know that. Well, the Britons turned into the Americans part. too, right? The Americans came from the Britain. Yeah. yeah. Like the British just spread. That joke has so many levels. Yeah. You were just laughing at one. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. I think that's about it. Do you got anything else you want to say, Nathan, before we let you go? Besides starting up an anarchist commune? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I guess I could just say, um, you know, I highly recommend anyone that's um, new to the show to support and. No, it's such a worthy uh, show to continue um, you know, investing in in whatever way you can. Oh, um, thanks, buddy. And um, yeah, no, I'm just a really um, grateful for you guys to bring me in and have me just a part of the uh, show. Yeah, thank you so much. Right on. Mm. I'll put I'll put a, my my favorite Monty Python clip there, or one of my favorites, anyways. It's full of every scene is incredible. Um, I'll put that in the show notes. Just people want to watch it again. It's pretty funny. Okay, sounds good. And we'll have you back when you get back to New Zealand. We'll have you on. and uh, Yeah, well, you know, I've got Skype, so recap. Al- always. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. All right, guys, enjoy the chat with the one and only Eugene McCarthy. So tonight we've got Gene McCarthy with us. He's the director at macroevolution.net. He's got a, a master's and a PhD in genetics, and he's been teaching and studying molecular evolution and biology and genetics. Um, he's also been studying hybridization and stabilization theory. Uh, he's got a, a huge PDF on He's been researching this stuff for decades. And of course, Darren and I have been sort of arguing about evolution a little bit. So one of our listeners or a couple of our listeners have recommended that we have Gene on. So I've been reading up on his work and it's been fascinating and we can't wait to dig into this a little bit deeper. So. I have a feeling I'm getting set up. No, you're not Are getting you set up I at all. I no? like, yeah, I feel like I'm getting set up by Team Graham. Hey, I'm the one that does all the research. So we'll have Gene, we'll have Gene, like he's going to have to dumb this down for us a little bit because it is pretty deep and it's pretty, uh, pretty detailed. So thanks for coming on the show, Gene. Yeah, sure. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, like we were just talking about there, where, where to start on this whole thing. But, I mean, evolution seems to be popping up now and again. And, and um, you know, listeners are always sort of directing us into new new areas of research. And I found, 
your stuff very interesting and i've also been trying to to get another another fellow on like steven meyer who um talks about uh like signature in the cell like the cellular evolution and all that but uh, uh-huh. yeah but i really really found your your um research deep and and detailed so i was hoping you could start at sort of a high level and talk to us about maybe what some of the differences are between between um you know stabilization theory and and the typical darwinian evolution okay sure um well, um, as we were saying before we got started, it's um, it kind of starts with certain axioms that differ from uh, Darwinian theory, yeah. know, usual uh, evolutionary theory. Yeah. And the the primary difference is um, that whereas uh, Darwinian theory says that the typical organism arises gradually in isolation through a process where it gradually accumulates uh, uh, mutations so that uh, it eventually becomes very different from its ancestors, different enough that, you know, biologists might want to call it a different species. Yeah. Uh, in stabilization theory, uh, the change is uh, saltational, that is, it uh, occurs in abrupt jumps, uh, and uh, it occurs by uh, <coughs> stabilization theory. I mean, stabilization processes, which are um, various well-known uh, genetic processes that uh, can rapidly produce a new set of chromosomes. Uh, for example, one type of stabilization process might be uh, uh, polyploidization, in which you uh, say, double the number of chromosomes in a single generation. Mm-hmm. And that might occur by uh, you get a uh, diploid gamete combining with a diploid gamete. That means uh, a gamete, oh, that's like sperm and eggs or pollen and ova in plants. Uh, you get, you have twice as many chromosomes in, say, the sperm and twice as many chromosomes as usual in the egg, and then they combine, and suddenly you've got a uh, offspring that's got twice as many chromosomes. But there are various other kinds of uh, stabilization processes, and they're all well-known uh, uh, things that biologists have written a lot about. But they're not generally thought of as producing new uh, forms of life. They're thought of as kind of uh, producing aberrant individuals or uh, it's, it's not the normal way that Darwinian uh, uh, so, evolution is supposed to occur. So do you think you could uh, maybe give us like either a hypothetical or maybe like a, a possible real world example of how that might occur? Yeah. Uh, well, I, um, there are well, like, uh, uh, ordinary wheat uh, arose, uh, I believe it was about 6,000 years ago, uh, when uh, spelt was crossed with uh, another, um, I don't remember the other type of grain, but uh, when this single hybrid cross occurred, uh, wheat was produced, and it's had a... Uh, uh, polyploid 
genome that was produced from that particular cross. And so uh, it had characteristics that were, you know, the farmers liked. It was easy to uh, uh, get the um, husk off of it in particular. And so it became very popular, but it was uh, not a, and people tend to think of breeding as a slow process where you say start with spelt and you change a little bit, change a little bit, change a little bit over time and over generations it becomes wheat. But right, right. this is this is just a process where you get a couple of gametes coming together and then you've got a new thing. So it's, most of these uh, stabilization processes are uh, triggered by hybridization, though not all of them, but most of them, like you have allopolyploids, which are produced uh, by hybridization, but you also have autopolyploids where there's a spontaneous doubling or tripling of the number of chromosomes. Huh. So, um, so this even happens with, with animals then too, right? So two, two animals might be able to breed that you wouldn't think normally could, and then it yeah, creates, sure. a, creates a hybrid, which could actually be a different like species. Like a pig and a animal. monkey? Yes, or uh, whatever. Um, I think uh, um, people have, um, I don't know, uh, they have ideas about hybridization and what's possible and what's not. And it goes back to ancient times. It's just kind of been repeated ever since, say, the Greeks and Romans, uh, the ideas that the gods somehow made the um, species uh, separate by not making by making hybridization uh, not work uh, this idea that you know it keeps the species from merging right uh, and so uh, this has gone on being repeated for the last couple thousand years and most people you know like you meet somebody on the street uh, like I remember I was at my gyms uh, woman I work with there she was saying that uh, she didn't know that there were any hybrids, and you know, and she said she'd heard of the mule, common uh, mule, like cross between a horse and an ass, but that's about all that she'd ever heard of. And so she was surprised, you know, when I was talking about my book that I wrote on uh, hybridization in birds for Oxford University Press. Uh, it contains more than four thousand different types of hybrid crosses. Wow! And then if you look at it. Uh, in terms of uh, how many of the uh, hybrids in there are fertile, um, you know, because most people think that hybrids are somehow absolutely sterile. Uh, the ratio of crosses, uh, uh, if you just separate it into the ones where the hybrids have been known to produce offspring versus the ones where they've got good evidence that they are pretty much absolutely sterile, uh, it's a ratio of seven to one. In other words, there's seven times as many crosses that produce hybrids that produce offspring than uh, ones that produce ones that are sterile. So wow. people focus. People focus on the sterile. Like uh, the and that's, that's that's the stereotype. Well, even the liger, you know, like the females, you know, you get offspring. Uh, that's that's something in general with um, mammals. The female hybrids tend to be more viable, more fertile. Uh, or if you say have a cross, like in some crosses, uh, there's only one type of one one sex that you can obtain from the uh, cross. Then in, in mammals, that would be the uh, female. In birds, it's the it's the reverse. It's uh, the males that are more viable and more fertile. And that has to do with the fact that uh, in mammals, the heterozygous sex, the ones like 
that are XY are the males, uh, whereas in birds, uh, the uh, females of the heterozygous uh, sex, and they're WZ, they have a different name for their sex chromosomes in birds, but uh, they're WZ within the uh, males are WW, and, and mammals are XX, so they're uh, homogametic. Um, but anyway, it's we're kind of getting lost in all this, but the, the main point is that a lot of people have very firm ideas about what's possible and what's not possible with hybrids, even though they've scarcely, it seems, given them a thought in their lives. Uh, they have uh, these ideas that you know you don't get hybrids in nature, although half of 4,000 crosses, more than 4,000 crosses in my book, do occur in natural setting. Uh, and they, some of them occur in a massive scale, like uh, uh, the um, uh, Bullock's Oriole and the uh, Baltimore Oriole uh, throughout the uh, middle of the United States, uh, running up through the Great Plains and on into Canada. There's a, a area where they come into contact, it's about 200 miles wide. There's nothing but hybrids in there. It's like millions upon millions of hybrids that are there on a permanent basis. Um, so it's not rare in all cases, and it does occur in the natural setting. Um, some of these uh, hybrid zones are called where the uh, two parental types come together and mate on an ongoing basis. So they think they've existed for thousands of years. So now this not- this is uh, this was known by Darwin and them, right? When they did it, they they yeah, knew about yeah. hybridization, but did they just downplay the role of this? Or well, kind of think of Darwin as kind of a wily guy who kind of accommodated uh, you know prevalent opinion and. Uh, he he knew that you know like the, everybody was um, in England you know where they were going out and colonizing everyone and they're having an industrial revolution they want to exploit the masses that he knew that the popular view especially with the upper classes was the you know competition was the way of the world the survival you know, and, of the fittest and all that yeah yeah and, and so uh, I well, think that in his theory he. Uh, this kind of wanted to express that sort of idea because he thought it was kind of the path of least resistance. That's the feeling I get from reading him extensively. Right. I mean, that's just my opinion. Yeah. But uh, it's it's. Uh, but if you look at not the origin of species, if you look at uh, variation of plants and animals under domestication, which he wrote like about ten years after the origin of species. You see all these examples of hybridization in there, but there's nothing of that in the origin of species. It, it's people, I think, are kind of uncomfortable with hybridization. Uh, either lots of negative connotations, uh, you know, it's like people talk about, about hybrids as being monstrous, or uh, uh, the old word for uh, hybrid is bastard. Huh. Uh, it's very negative, sort of. Like if you call somebody a bastard, it's like a terrible thing. You know, it's like it's not it's not a nice thing uh and so uh it's, it's kind of almost as if people have this feeling that you know that way monsters lie that it's an uncomfortable kind of chaotic almost uh disgusting sort of uh 
situation that you're getting into. So they'd rather just avoid the topic altogether. Hedonistic. Hedonistic. Uh, well, it's, uh, yeah, or it's, uh, it goes back, you know, hybrid's related to hubris. Uh, it's directly related etymologically. And, um, and you know, hubris, I, I guess you know, like in the ancient Greeks, it was like uh, uh, anything that was against nature. It was, it was like an abomination of the gods to do things against nature. And hybrids, since like way back, have been thought of as something that's against nature. That's why I think people at first, their first thought is that, you know, that's something that doesn't happen in a natural setting because it's unnatural uh, in their minds. Uh, and traditionally, it's unnatural. It's, you know, it goes back to hubris. So that could be a, a reason for a lot of the new species. And then what what are some of the other, but not, but that doesn't well, explain all of to, it, right? Before we jump off of Darwin, I've actually, uh, I've, I've heard some people talk about how Darwin was kind of hijacked in some ways as well. How, did you find any of that? Like I've heard, I, I can't, I think it was the IM documentary where they said people kind of, he talked about cooperation more than. Than More than only the strong survive, and that was just kind of what the main takeaway. Well, I don't know. I, I haven't seen too much of that. I know that that's not what, you know, is retained from him. I, uh, I read a lot of, I mean, I've read Darwin extensively. I even, like, went through and compared the diff different editions of the origin of species, see how it's thought, you know, kind of changed over time. Um, but... I didn't see too much about cooperation. Um, he, so I guess I have to say, if, if that does exist, I don't know about it. Yeah, yeah I mean, or maybe it was more along the lines of species, a species by species and not like, you know, not that, that the, I can't remember, you know what documentary it was? You could watch it. It was I Am. That's what it was. Mm -hmm. Oh, I Am. Yeah, I think it's on... Netflix. Hmm. It's a good one, anyway. I'd be yeah, interested I, I, in your I, take. I'll, I'll take a look at this stuff if I haven't done it yet. But one thing I should probably mention about hybrids is that after looking at it, and like I've been looking at hybrids now for like 35 years or so, and um, uh, I think the main thing uh, that would differentiate the way that I think about it uh, from the way that, you know, just the person on the street thinks about it is that um, you have in a hybrid cross, say, if you're going to cross something that's, you know, pretty distant, like, say, a chicken and a turkey, mm -hmm. what you get is mostly, like, inviable uh, individuals. Like, uh, they might, like, just make it into, like, the embryo stage and die or get a few days further along, um, but never hatch, or they might hatch, but die soon after uh, hatching, or they might reach maturity, uh, but it's a very small percentage that reaches maturity, and that crosses something, uh, if you do, say, a thousand artificial inseminations, uh, you get maybe one adult hybrid. Uh, and so, I think that the, most people on the street think uh, not in percentage sort of terms like that they think well that just doesn't work that's not going to happen and then they dismiss it but if you have even one uh like that over geological time you know it becomes huge numbers 
And uh, you're talking about transferring an entire chicken genome into a context where it's uh, they're interacting with an entire turkey genome. So it's like a huge mutation. And it allows you, uh, when you go on, say, to back cross uh, to one of the two parents, to generate this mega level of variation. And so it's, uh, it opens up, I mean, I, I was like a um, math major as an undergraduate, and so I think of things in terms of, you know, percentages and the long-term uh, effect of uh, those percentages. And, it, and one of the things in probability uh, theory is that if you have any positive probability, like the like whatever minute uh, probability that might be, if, if you have repeated trials over time, uh, uh, as the number of trials goes up, uh, the probability of that event occurring goes to one. In other words, it's guaranteed as the number of trials goes up. So over geological time, it, it mimics uh, the um, thing in probability of a large number of trials uh, going to infinity. It, it's almost as if, if you have these hybrids arising at low rates, uh, it's guaranteed that something's going to happen after a while. Yeah, yeah. So, but but, but even that one in a thousand, that still has to. That's one in a thousand out of. You'd have to multiply the odds of those creatures actually being able to have sex. I guess, right? Yeah, but that that's, that happens all the time. You have uh, things, other things associated with hybridization. People aren't that familiar with, like imprinting. Do you know about imprinting? Uh, it's um, the phenomenon where if you're raised by, say, a certain type of bird or a certain type of animal, which that's not the same kind of animal as you are, you'll try to mate with that kind of animal when you reach maturity. So uh, a lot of times, say, like uh, a bird will accidentally raise um, a young, but it's not of its own kind, when that uh, bird reaches maturity, it will try to mate with the kind of bird that raised it. It will prefer it to its own kind. It won't mate with its own kind. I mean, it's even, you get weird things like, I you know this case where uh, uh, peacocks were raised with um, uh, Galapagos turtles, tortoises, in a zoo, I think it's in Austria, and the peacocks were only interested in mating with turtles after that. But wow. They didn't want to be around peacocks. They wanted tortoise. That's the only thing. They follow the tortoise everywhere or try to do it with the tortoise. So it's uh, some of these. Or it, it even goes further than that. Uh, you know, Conrad Lorenz, who studied imprinting extensively, he would expose uh, uh, goslings uh, at a critical time during the development. I think it's 24 hours after hatching uh, to various animals and objects, and he found that uh, you could put a beach ball in front of a gosling at 24 hours, and after that, for the rest of their lives, they would follow, uh, I mean, if the beach ball's blowing around the wind, the goslings would follow it around everywhere. They'd think it was their mother, and, they, and later on, you know, they want to do it. They want to mate with the, uh, <laughs> the beach ball. Well, <laughs> that kind of makes me think of, uh, like Rupert Sheldrake's research a little bit, like into morphic resonance, like they have, you know, they've done trials where you, you train 
a certain group of animals in one part of the world to do something. And then, you know, the animals born on the other side of the world have, are automatically sort of carrying those traits and those behaviors. So like, what kind of, you know, what if, what if these hybrids are finding, um, appropriate partners and different species. And yet that's also somehow reaching, um, other parts of the, the world as well. Or, you know, like it could, it might be, you know, it might happen faster than you think is what I'm trying to get at. Instead of just like one in a thousand or whatever, maybe that's happening all over as well. Well, I mean, um, one in a thousands, like I was saying, or, you know, geological time, that's, that's a pretty lot. fast. Say if you like, I've, uh, say, you know, you have populations of millions of individuals. Um, that means that thousands of them are going to be producing offspring this way you know what happens with hybrids or hybrids uh when when two populations come together and produce hybrids they do it along the edges and they just do it on an ongoing basis it's it's almost as if um you know say if you've got bird a and bird b um they they disperse out of their home range or not their home range but their uh area of distribution into the range of the other um and once they start dispersing like that, they start finding bird A that disperses into the range of bird B, uh, start seeing only the B kind of bird and um, ends up getting imprinted on that type and wants to mate with that type or may just mate with that type just because uh, there's nothing else to mate with. Um, but it's, it's not really rare in the sense that a lot of people think that it is it's um just it might be rare in terms of the percentage of the population like most of the population say if you look at white-tailed deer in america most places they're not doing any hybridization but if you go out uh along the um eastern edge of the rocky mountains they're hybridizing with mule deer all up along through there hmm. uh, so it's an ongoing basis but hmm. uh out of the population that's a small percentage of white-tailed deer yeah, that's good but point. then but these percentages uh it depends on the cross so like there's some crosses like say uh pheasant cross chicken i think it's one in ten you get a hybrid one in ten inseminations it depends on the particular cross that you look at it's not the same for every cross hmm. uh, and then there's some that are so low that you know it's almost uh, i've seen um this guy i know in england was trying to like uh get this bullfinch cross and he like did thousands and thousands of inseminations he knew it had been obtained before but he couldn't get it just but it had been it had been obtained before uh, so uh, it, so it's all over the map really with as far as percentages go wild cars yeah yeah, and uh, you know, like there's there's a certain serendipitous element to it, uh, to it all. Uh, you know, like if you uh, wait for a million years, you know, like who's who knows what's going to happen for sure. That's right. So, do you think do you think this is something that's happening alongside slow motion evolution, or is this is this is this something that's maybe totally separating from that? Well, I don't know how much of the stabilization theory thing that you read, actually read, but uh, the um, third chapter goes into that uh, kind of 
places Darwinian theory within stabilization theory. There is a a, a role for it, um, but I'm trying to think how to explain it quickly and simply, but basically, you with mostly stabilization processes, you get. Uh, something happening when two gametes come together. Like you might have like one diploid gamete and one normal gamete come together and you've got an offspring that's got three um, sets of chromosomes instead of two as the parents did. Or uh, you might have like two diploid gametes come together and produce uh, a, a tetraploid one, an offspring with four sets of chromosomes. But the... Um, Oh, let's see. Um, repeat your question. I, I lost it. Right. I, I think it, it's more about um, like where the stabilization theory incorporates Darwin's traditional oh, yeah, yeah, evolution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I just lost that. I'm I'm not really used to being interviewed in the evening. No, but, that's uh, a, it's all it's all good. Uh, I just yeah, we want to. But, dig but, but into okay, that yeah, I'll go back to that. Uh, okay, so anyway, basically. Uh, uh, these stabilization processes produce uh, various new karyotypes. In other words, these are new sets of chromosomes. They might, uh, like, say if you look at a uh, human versus a chimpanzee, a uh, human has... Yeah, this uh, is where I want to get to anyway. So a, yeah, a, human, a human has, like, 22 autosomes and, and then a pair of uh, sex chromosomes, so uh, 23 pairs in all, whereas a uh, chimpanzee has 23 autosomes and a pair of sex chromosomes so it's like 48 or 24 24 pairs 48 chromosomes okay so uh and then if you look at the uh, individual chromosomes and try to compare them with uh they don't line up perfectly like you take chromosome one and of humans and try to line up with chromosome one of chimpanzee uh they're rearranged versus each other okay and so when you have these rearrangements um uh, it means, uh, say, if you produce a hybrid between a human and chimpanzee, hypothetically, uh, when the chromosomes are not of the same number and they are rearranged, it ends up uh, reducing the fertility of the hybrid. And the more rearrangements you have and the more changes, more differences in number, uh, the more likely it is that the hybrid will be not absolutely sterile necessarily, necessarily but uh, it will show a severely reduced level of fertility, you might put it that way. And so um, what works best for producing offspring and producing fertile offspring is to have the same karyotype in the mother and in the father. Uh, and that, okay, in that case, you get perfect pairing in the offspring and that perfect pairing uh, produces high levels of fertility just in itself. Uh, if you uh, don't have matched chromosomes, uh, they're not perfectly paired, you're going to have fertility problems. You're gonna, your fertility will be reduced. It's not absolutely gone, but it's going to be reduced. You're not going to produce as many offspring mm -hmm. or produce as many gametes. So um, the idea with um, stabilization theory is that uh, you have these various processes where the gametes produce a new type of karyotype. And then if that karyotype, say, is being produced with 
any frequency, like you might have a lot of diploid gametes being produced. So in a population of millions of individuals, you might be getting like uh, in every generation, hundreds of uh, a certain type of polyploid being produced in that population. Those uh, offspring types with the new karyotype, when they mate together, will produce lots of offspring. Yeah, just yeah. Offspring that are matched. Now, this is all <laughs> trying to lead up to where Darwinian theory works within all this. See, once you get the new type, it enters a new reproductive cycle where this new karyotype is producing an offspring, the same karyotype, the same new karyotype, over and over and over again. Things stabilize. That's, That's where, where the stabilization, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so uh, that in itself uh, stabilizes certain traits because those chromosomes that are perfectly paired will also program for particular traits in the organism. So the uh, traits that are present in this new type of organism are kind of incidental to the fact that this organism has full pairing, full fertility, stability, so they can consistently reproduce itself, reproduce. In other words, produce offspring that are the same, again, like itself, stereotypically. And that's such a huge advantage. It increases your fertility so much to be able to do that, that uh, if you can just get by in other respects, uh, if you're just adequate in other respects, you can uh, do well and perpetuate yourself. But the Darwinian theory comes in after you get the stabilization, after you get this stable reproductive process, there's going to be some level of variation between the genes. And say, if you look at individual A and individual B within this new stabilized population, they're not going to be identical in all respects. And that has to do with the fact that uh, they might have been produced from two separate stabilization processes that produce the same type of hybrid. That's something that happens a lot. Right, like different tribes in a way, like, or yeah, different, like, yeah. you know, you, you say you cross, you know, uh, two different types of flowers, uh, you can consistently get a particular type of hybrid. And, uh, but you can have separate hybridizations to produce this, that same type. I mean, different events producing the same type. And when you have that, like say if the uh, parent pair A and parent pair B, uh, they have different genes uh, they, uh, with respect to certain characteristics. So there's variation there between the parents. And that variation will still be present in these offspring. Yeah. That even though they're the same type, they have the same karyotype, they look like the same thing, there are low, there are low levels of variation in there. Uh, and that variation uh, is equivalent to what is described in Darwinian theory and in population genetics. Uh, it's called allelic variation. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that term. In other words, it's like you know, blue eyes versus brown eyes. I mean, you can have blue eyes or brown eyes. You're still a human being. Uh, but you have uh, variation there. All these different characteristics that we vary for, but all humans have the same karyotype. <coughs> and so, anybody that 
say like a uh, extra chromosome arises and say if you have a child and it has an extra chromosome um, there'll be fertility effects from that if the carry type varies there'll be uh, reduced fertility so there's this uh, tendency uh, it's almost like a uh, converging recurrence in mathematics uh, where you keep homing in on the same thing because uh, anybody that departs from it pays a penalty. Uh, if you depart from your karyotype of your parents, then, then you... Uh, I'm sorry, just a minute, I dropped my headphone. Uh, if you depart from the karyotype of your parents, then there's nobody that's going to match you. Plus, you have... Um, chromosomes that are not fully paired, uh, perhaps. But if even if you do have chromosomes that are fully paired, if you departed from your parents, then there's nobody for you to mate with, so your offspring are not going to have fully paired. So are you, so are you saying that the, the traits, the different traits are there in between, like within one species or the similar type species, yet they're not really evolving into a different species? Once you're in that stabilization process, it's just different, different... Um, types of genes not necessarily evolving from one species to the next? Yeah, well, no, yes. It's, it's not that you're evolving uh, over time into a, a new species, no. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, let's just go back to the human situation. Um, stabilization process, it, some stabilization process under this theory would have produced humans like long ago. Uh, right. It would produce a karyotype that's different from the chimpanzee karyotype, say, and it's unique to humans. And at that point, uh, a stable reproductive cycle set in, and humans were reproducing, and they're producing offspring like themselves. That's what it means to be stable. They're, there's not, they're not departing from their parents. They're staying the same generation after generation after generation. They're stable over time. Yeah. But uh, that there's still variation among humans, even though they share that karyotype. And that's, that's, that kind of variation is the kind of variation that uh, Darwin and population genetics talk about. But it's, but it, it's not as if uh, you're going under stabilization theory. It's, it's not as if you're going to, uh, say, with eugenics or uh, trying to breed humans a certain way. You're not going to just by breeding them uh, among themselves, produce something that's not human. Right, right. So could could you have, say, one sort of starting point stabilize in several different outcomes? Uh, or is it like, is it like a I'm not tree? understanding the question. I guess, like, to take it from the human perspective, you've got, say, if, you, if we're going to say that chimpanzees to humans... Now, could that, mm -hmm. if you took that farther back the chain, could that be like something that turned into chimpanzees, orangutans, humans, all of those things? Like, did something, can something stabilize? Is it a fixed path from one to one to one, like a moth to a butterfly? Well, or is it more like it. a tree where you'd have this one starting point that, that could finish in, in several different places and, and be successful in each of them? Well, it's, it's not one starting point because, if I'm understanding you right, it's not one starting point because um, uh, hybridization is a big thing in a stabilization theory. It's, in other words, it's considered to be uh, 
fairly common, happening all the time. And over geological time, actually, it's frequent. Um, but the thing is, uh, you can get um, what I describe as uh, similarity chains or similarity sets where these are defined by uh, uh, organism A can hybridize with organism B and organism B can hybridize with organism C. And uh, so you get these long chains of uh, hybridizing types. And uh, so each of these different hybridizations can produce uh, a different type of offspring. And the um, offspring uh, can uh, be selected and they can have uh, all sorts of different characteristic traits depending on what cross they come from. But it's not as if they're all coming from one place. Like, like say like uh, a rooster uh, you could think of like a rooster or just a chicken as uh, like a place you're starting from and get a lot of different things. You could think of it that way, I guess. But I mean, a chicken, uh, they can cross with about 70 or 80 other types of birds. Um, they're like, it can cross with like um, pheasants, turkeys. Um, I mean, you even have a lot of evidence that there are things as weird as ducks that they can cross with. Um, but that's, you know, kind of getting way out there. So, yeah, let's, um, t- let's stick to like the human, more of the human example. So like, cause people say we came from chimps, then people say we came from the same ancestors as chimps, right? Mm-hmm. So is that, is, are, are both of those, specifically are both of those, well, of some show. people say chimps and pigs, yeah, made us, but I mean, is there, is there, uh, okay. is, well, is, well, let's just consider that hypothetically, uh, what the conventional, the conventional, view is, you know, like a, a few million years ago, a uh, ancestral population existed that uh, was uh, ape-like, and that over time you uh, had uh, the population get separated so that there's one that was more terrestrial living out in the open, another one that's kind of more tree-oriented. And over time, the terrestrial open environment uh, organism developed into humans. Uh-huh. Whereas you know, the other one, uh, they you know, r- remained in the trees and remained ape-like. And so uh, chimpanzees and humans, uh, or lately, you know, like the last couple of decades, people who've been saying bonobos, even like the most recent one. But yeah, in yeah. other words, it's uh, the this process of divergence, whereas, um, and, and, and before I go on to the other scenario, uh, in that scenario, uh, they say that we're uh, closely related chimpanzees, because if you look at the genetics, we're about 98% similar yeah. at, at the genetic level, if you look at nucleotide sequences. yeah. But the thing is, if you instead, just hypothetically, uh, consider the possibility of a chimpanzee crossing with some other animal and then that offspring back crossing the chimpanzee and then back crossing in the next generation again to chimpanzee and then one more generation back to chimpanzee. Even if the uh, 
if in the initial uh, cross, uh, the parents were, say, uh, 20% different, by the time you go back three times, you're going to be 98% similar mm. at genetic level. So you can get 98% similar uh, either way. And so uh, the, the genetic data isn't very useful for distinguishing those two hypotheses. What's useful, and what I try to explain on my website, is to look at traits that distinguish us from chimpanzees. Uh, and then look to see what kind of animal has those traits. Um, because just looking at the uh, genetic data, it's very hard to make any sense out of it. It's hard, it's, I'm not saying it's hard to understand what's there. I'm saying it's hard to like, distinguish between the hypotheses on the basis of the genetic data because in either case, you end up with the same sort of thing. You end up with two organisms that are 98% similar, either by hybridization and then repeated backcrossing, or by uh, gradual diversions from a fairly recent common ancestor. Both of those give you 98% similar. Do you understand that part? Yeah. Is that yeah. Clear? Okay, so so it's, it's uh, people like uh, will say things like, well, he doesn't have any genetic evidence for his um, claim. Well, first of all, it's not a claim, it's a hypothesis. It's just something I'm considering. But further, uh, there's no genetic evidence for the other view either, because they're they're indistinguishable genetically. They're indistinguishable because, I mean, it's it's like if say you went to a crime scene where someone had been uh, wearing gloves, the perpetrator had been wearing gloves, and then uh, uh, the Investigators say, well, get the fingerprints. We've got to have fingerprint evidence. If we don't have fingerprint evidence, we don't have a case. Whereas you might have, like, say, videos of the perpetrator coming into the house, or you might have an eyewitness. There are all sorts of other kinds of uh, evidence that you can look at, but you have somebody who's just insisting on fingerprint evidence. You're not going to have fingerprint evidence of the person's wearing gloves. So it's the same thing here. It's like if there's certain situations where a genetic analysis is not that useful. That's what I finally realized after many years of looking at this. It took me a long time to realize that. Uh, I mean, it seems sort of straightforward, or maybe it doesn't since you're not a geneticist, but it's, it's <laughs> I can't tell you, like uh, I, I didn't publish anything about all of this because it just didn't seem to fit I, until I finally realized that. But um, so anyway, going back to what I was saying a minute ago, what does tell you something is uh, looking at the traits that distinguish humans from chimpanzees. If you make a list of those traits, uh, you start finding that actually uh, these traits are not just distinguishing us from chimpanzees, but from all non-human primates. Like if you look at our kidneys, we have these uh, well, we call them kidney shape, but in, in uh, non-human primates, you know, like say a chimpanzee, the the kidneys are triangular. They're not shaped like our kidneys. <laughs> and if you cut the kidney open, look inside. We have all these. Uh, they're called pyramids inside. <clears throat> we have about ten pyramids. Um, it's an unusual kidney structure that we have, and it's only, the only other organism that's known to have that is a pig. It's a pig that has that type of kidney. 
Uh, they don't have it in any other non-human primates. Um, or if you say, look at our skin, uh, in our skin, there's not a, a muscular layer where you can you know, twitch the skin like you see horses twitching their skin. Like when they have a fly on them, they twitch it and they can make the fly go away. Uh, but non-human primates have that sort of muscle layer in their skin throughout their body. We have it only in our neck and in our face. So uh, if you want, you can move your face around, the skin on your face around. You, that's how you make expressions. Or you can do it with your neck. You can, you can tense up your neck and move the skin around there too. But it's not present elsewhere. So that's the case with a pig. A pig has uh, those muscles in the skin only in the face and in the neck. Whereas you know, most animals and all non-human primates have it throughout the skin. So, so is that why uh, some, that could explain why some religions don't eat pork? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like, a lot of people like to, you know, told me that a lot of people you know, said things like, I'm going kosher, you know. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm not let's, eating bacon anymore. That's interesting but, because we've, we've talked about that with past guests, about pigs and humans, uh, pigs and chimps specifically. Mm -hmm. uh, but we might as well get to the, sure, let's the get crescendo. To yeah. Okay, so uh -huh. so where does like we have an ongoing debate here because I get made fun of because I think that uh, dolphins and wolves share common ancestry. Did you say dolphins and wolves? Yes, and bears mm -hmm. and whales. Because uh, now he now he finds out recently that he thinks bears and whales as well, and it's something to do with the hip structure or something like that. And and to, I'm arguing that just because they have the same type of hip structure doesn't mean they came from the same ancestor, or just because you know, or they didn't come from one didn't evolve into the next. I thought that's what it was, is that wolves evolved from dolphins out of the sea. Like, I mean, and it goes back to humans as well, which I wanted to ask is like, did we end up coming from, you know, the same ancestors as a lobster or some, some creature in the sea just way, way back, like billions of years? Was it even under stabilization? Was it different? You know, did we end up coming from that? It's just too weird. If you make it big long enough, I guess. I mean, well, the outcomes would be similar. Well, under stabilization theory, it's almost like you have the uh, topology of evolution is inverted, whereas you know there are no common ancestors in stabilization theory. So you uh, say with the human example, you uh, might have you know pig and chimpanzee, but then you know you're going to have going back in time further, you know something crossing with something to produce a chimpanzee, and something crossing with something to produce a pig. So in that theory, then, you go then back, there was it just, set species. Started. Excuse me? So in, in this theory, there was a set group of species that just started. Um, well, as far back as you go in the fossil record, uh, you can find multiple types of organisms. Um, so I'm happy that it explains the entire fossil record. I don't know what happened before that. Uh, I, think, I feel like anything before that is just you know, a theory, it's speculation. If you don't have any fossils, then... Yeah, that's fair enough. So we'll just yeah. pick it up at the fossil record and not worry about how we got here or how life, oh, how it would have started. Like, like, yeah, do I we mean, start I, with everything started like, out of the ocean or we, we're just not going back that far? Yeah, well, I mean, you can, but it's, it's kind of like outside. Like, uh, I, I've is. always intended this as something to account for the fossil record. I, I think I said when we were talking before, I'm getting ready for the show that uh, you have um, all these organisms that 
in the fossil record, you know, the typical thing is that they arise abruptly, like there'll be a lowermost stratum in which they appear. And then after that, going up through the strata, they stay the same. They just stay the same, stay the same, then they go extinct. And so uh, the uh, stabilization processes account for that because you have this process that rapidly produces a new form of life and then just stays the same thereafter because it's stabilized. Yeah. Uh, and does, and it, does that account for the Cambrian explosion as well and the mystery behind that? Yeah, or why because, that's... Uh, because uh, I think that's when the sex got good and sex is necessary for hybridization. And so once you have, are really good at um, carrying out sex and exchanging genomes and combining genomes, then you're going to have an explosion. That's, that's kind of the way I think about that. Um, before that, you know, you have all these, um, probably had all these kind of awkward mechanisms that um, did not uh, carry out the sexual process all that effectively. But once um, that got going, uh, you, you know, had rapid diversification. That's just, just, that's just the kind of sub- <laughs> sub theory within stabilization theory for that. So, I mean, it kind of covers everything, but um, okay, it's uh, it's kind of a different it's just a different way of thinking about it. Uh, I, I don't think they have a very good explanation for what happened there in Darwinian theory. Yeah, it's uh, kind of a, put a bit of a kink in the whole thing. Global warming. <laughs> so, yeah, so. Well, I mean, Go ahead. No, well, I was just going to say about getting getting back to the wolfen, which is the wolf and the dolphin. Uh, is that, well, are you talking about like a hybridization or? Well, more about the evolution of the dolphin, I suppose. Yeah, well, or I mean, where I, the uh, sea mammals, where sea mammals you, fit in. Yeah, well, as soon as you say evolution to me, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, hybridization, okay. of course, yeah. you know, it's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm like kind of like, let's. Uh, just the way my mind works, but um, okay. So let's uh, put it. Let's, but, 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 but but as far as dolphins go, and uh, and uh, bears, uh, I often wonder whether you know, like some of the fur seals might have crossed with things like otters, uh, and uh, produced offspring there. And uh, and otters are not too far off from bears. Say they're in you know the same sort of general categories bears they're on carnivores that are terrestrial carnivores it just keeps working its way up like finding the next sort of thing it can cross with and then, then and, then, got, a, and then a bear happens fins. between a but then you've got to be fucking a fish somewhere no <laughs> no eventually it just becomes a it becomes like a seal which is kind of half and seal half doesn't right have a dorsal fin though no but the, yeah well but but the, you got to realize though that you know they're Many, many different combinations, and so um, you know, you, you know, it's it's hard to to like know. Uh, there's such diversity in what could be happening that uh, it's hard to know. Um, so then, so then, <laughs> that's that's one thing that stabilization theory is not very good for is looking back into the deep past where. Darwinian theory, since they all they assume everything started with a single uh, type of ancient organism and then everything diverged in a nice tree-like fashion. Since then, all you got to do with that is like uh, get some 
calibration on your tree from the fossil record so that you can get you know, some sort of time component to the tree. And then you can like say, oh, this happened like 45 million years ago, or this happened 90 million years ago, or this happened a billion years ago. But with stabilization theory, you don't have any of that. There's no tree. It's backwards. Like you said, it's, up, it's an upside down tree it's in a way. It's not only backwards, but you don't even know what it is. Because uh, like already, like say with the human example, a chimpanzee, who knows what cross to produce a chimpanzee? I don't know. I yeah, mean, maybe, yeah, that could, yeah. maybe that could eventually be figured out. But then if you go back another stage, uh, you really don't know. And so it's, uh, it becomes very vague. It's like, uh, uh, I mean, to me, it's like, uh, I always think of it like Tacitus, you know, the Roman historian, he, he said, all antiquity is obscure. And uh, it's, it's kind of that way with stabilization theory. Uh, you, can, you can figure out some things more accurately, like you can figure out exactly where a particular type of organism came from by reproducing the cross. They've done that with a lot of different types of organisms. Yeah. Uh, uh, they actually reproduce the cross and reproduce the organism, so they know where it came from. So in some ways, it provides you with better information, but as far as all that stuff with uh, uh, dating, uh, the nodes and trees, and the division points and trees, and the how far it's back to common ancestors. It's, it's, all that just goes away. There's not even a common ancestor anymore. Okay, let's put it this way then. So, in, in as far as like a, a dolphin and a wolf being somewhat related, either from the same path or one evolving to the other one. As far as Darwinian evolution goes, there's no evidence for that at all. But as far as stabilization theory goes, it, it would be hypothetically possible for a wolf to have come through various, to come from sort of like the same area that this, like from a dolphin, let's say through a whole bunch of different hybridizations. Well, uh, hypothetically, I, like, I, like if it, love, and it end up with I the wrote, same hip structure. Since I originally wrote this stuff on civilization theory and on the human origin stuff, my ideas about what's possible as far as distance and hybridization is, is expanded a lot. I mean, I, uh, a lot of the time I've, since writing that stuff, I've spent in searching for historical information about crosses. And like, uh, I guess my method is I just you know, pick, a, pick a particular type of cross and I just find everything that I can find about that cross and record it on that page on the mm-hmm. website. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it wasn't until a few months ago uh, I even started looking into it. Um, but I'm now thinking that probably you have even things like bird cross mammal of much further than wolf cross dolphin. But these are things that uh, are, again, like not happening often. But you have like, I've got two uh, uh, things for like a uh, chicken human. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous, but as chicken human on the website, uh, where one of them is like this guy um, who is the head of the Natural History Museum in uh, Moscow. It's a big, you know, yeah, big yeah. organization. You know. Yeah, yeah, and this is like uh, in 1815, uh, and he wrote up this uh, human chicken hybrid that was sent to him from one of the provinces, and he had it in his office. And it had like a chicken body, but it had a face of a human being. And like hundreds of people came to his office, according to what he wrote about it. Uh, and uh, it was alive and uh, it didn't have a beak, you know, it had lips and like human-like eyes. And so, you know, 
what do you think? You know, you have these reports uh, by this guy's a well-known scholar. His name is Fischer von von Waldheim, uh, and you know, he's like this decorated scholar writing about this chicken-human hybrid in his office. Uh, and if, if you were looking at it by itself, then you could just dismiss it. But I've got hundreds of cases now that I've recorded on these various pages where you have uh, these bizarre hybrids. And I, I think of it like the way I kind of contextualize it is I think, well, uh, you have these well-researched crosses, like I was saying, like chicken cross turkey, where you have these commercial endeavors that are trying to uh, figure out uh, you know, whether this would be a viable type of hybrid to put into production. And they're experimenting with it, doing like thousands and thousands of inseminations. So they get it down to like accurate percentages for uh, what's you know, the level of viability. And they're finding that, you know, you can consistently get these uh, mature hybrids, but at low levels. And that seems to be like the typical case. Uh, it's not that you don't get them at all. Uh, you get them at low levels. So it could be uh, even if something is, I mean, chicken and turkey are very different. So chicken and humans, a little more different, but then maybe it's just a lower percentage. You know, like you have enough matings there. <laughs> maybe you would get something like say one in 10,000 or one in 100,000. You have like all these peasants in Russia doing strange things out on the farm. Um, eventually they have one uh, sent into the museum. Wow. Yeah, and I mean, not all hybridization has to come from intercourse either, right? There's also the other other ways that uh, they reproduce, right? Well, there's sexual hybridization, which is intercourse, or like it's at least like sperm and egg, or all in an ova. Um, but um, you can have like also like chimeric hybrids, where you know you like the thing like they're doing with humans and pigs, say, where they inject uh, pig embryos. Uh, with human cells and then it grows up so that you have like uh, human cells and pig cells mixed together in the mature organism. I was thinking um, more like naturally. Um, well, I don't know. Uh, there are other ways where you can get um, mixture uh, naturally without sex, but it's less uh, effective. You can like say like have genes transferred from one type of organism into another uh, through viruses, they pick up a gene and carry it across. But then, like, that's a very small amount of DNA that you can get into a virus. Uh, it's not a whole genome like you have with uh, hybridization. What about um, eating it? Well, I see what you want. What you want is to produce an embryo so it can grow up into an organism. If you eat something, um, I mean, potentially, say, a virus could pick it up after you eat it and carry it uh, into a gamete, say, into your sperm. And then you could go and impregnate someone with that sperm, and uh, that gene would then be there. But that's... I was thinking more like if chimps were jerking off and the pigs were eating it. Well, uh, that would not be nearly as effective. I would say. Uh, I don't know if you've looked at any of the stuff on my website about all the various strange uh, hybrids that have been reported, like the very distant ones. Um, but it's not as if um, it, it does not seem to be the case that it's a never happened sort of situation. It does 
seem to happen. Like, uh, I mean, one of the uh, better documented, very weird crosses um, that I have, like, like this is, I have, I have so many reports of it that I don't even know how many I have, but it must be around 50 or 100 separate reports from separate individuals of human cross cow. It's, uh, wow, there's lots of examples on your website. I didn't realize it. I was so busy trying to read your 20-hour, like your book was so in, intensive. I was sort of focusing on that more than the actual uh, website, but yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's like some of them, like uh, my method that I follow is like if I find a cross-reported that I haven't had before, then I create a page about it. And then I record the information about that cross that I found. And then if I ever run, anything else, run across anything else about it, I put it on that page again. And, and then like some of them, I, like I've only seen like, you know, like one report ever. And so that's the only thing that's on the page. But the others, like I was saying, this um, human cross cow just goes on and on until I'm having like uh, multiple pages about it. Like people apparently in Japan, a lot of people believe in human cow hybrids there and they have them on television. And uh, they call them kudons, and they you know you got all these photographs of them on the website. Um, so it's um, I, I'm not saying even now that they definitely occur, but there is a lot of evidence that they do uh, because you have all these separate eyewitnesses uh, claiming that they do. Like there was just like one about a couple weeks ago in India. It's a it's a calf born with the human head. It was on YouTube. I yeah, I thought I saw something on that. Yeah. And, yeah. So, like, I mean, I think what people do a lot is they uh, will see something That's an like embarrassing that. And they, 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 hmm? it's what? That's an embarrassing morning. It, morning? When you have to explain to your wife why the calf was just <laughs> born with the human head. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, there are, people have gotten in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I used to be like, you know, I, I, my reports go back even like, you know, like some of them to like, you know, like 1600s, 1500s. There's one report I was thinking about, it's like from like, some like 1300. And this guy was prosecuted because he had a horse that uh, was a little colt that was born with a human head, like a centaur. And uh, so he uh, was prosecuted for it. Uh, I think he was prosecuted because he killed it. It was like it was alive, and then he he was prosecuted because he had killed it. And then uh, I think they were also suspicious of him having been the father. But um, so anyway, the, that's the thing is uh, your your question about the dolphin and the whale. It's it's not entirely silly to me because if you can have at least it seems I me. Mean, I'm starting to take the evidence seriously that you could perhaps have a bird cross with a mammal, which would be much further. Um, so you might have something that I, I don't know how they would get together, like a marine organism and a terrestrial organism. I don't know about that part of it. And enough of but, it to create a breeding population. Yeah, <laughs> but the, that's not as hard as you think that part of it, uh, because all you have to do is get one and then cross back and you bring the whole genome across. Um, uh, what you have a lot with hybrid crosses, like I said, is you have, or at least with mammals, you'll have a fertile female produced, and then the fertile female will cross back to one of the two parents. 
And at that point, you get this huge burst of variation. So it's, 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 it's I don't know, it's, um, uh, my mind keeps expanding on this topic. Um, I, I, I would not have thought uh, that, say, if the first time I ran across uh, a human cow uh, report, that I would ever see another one. But as I say, and I've got like, oh you know, my god, there's hundreds I, on there. It seems. I mean, have you looked at that? Yeah, it's on at, there right now. I'm on there right now. Yeah, it's crazy. All right. And all I do is all I do is I just quote them. Yeah. In a lot. Of, in a lot of cases, they're pictures. Yeah. Of the and uh it, and it's um it's not something that you know I can really dismiss anymore. I, I, I think that what, the, what I would say is that I think that it should be investigated, but I, I, I think that people uh, have a tendency not to investigate such things because they find it creepy or nonsensical or just, you know, it's like a bad bet as far as, you know, something to investigate. But uh, it's, it's for whatever reason, uh, these things keep getting reported. Uh, there's something just recently. Oh, yeah, there's this uh, thing this week. Uh, in South Africa, you see the thing about like a sheep-human hybrid, and they have all these photographs. Yeah, that's the uh, one I thought you were talking about earlier about that. I think I've seen that recently. Yeah. Yeah, well, the other one, like the cow-human, was about a month ago. Uh, yeah. It's it's on it's on that cow-human page. If you scroll down, you'll see there's a video there showing it. Uh, the people in India think that it's uh, an avatar. I think of Vishnu and they've all come to worship it. Well, the interesting part is, uh, yeah, Darren, this was going around. You've seen this, uh, this one here that we're talking about. That one. Yeah. Some of them are like, are like, uh, I, I th what I find is like, there are a lot of people that say, Oh, I can't look at that. And I'm not sure what's going on there. Exactly. Psychologically. It's, it's, uh, kind of, uh, perhaps, uh, something almost subconscious. That's a dude banging a pig for sure. You think so? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're looking at the pig human? Yeah. yeah like, See, I, I think, think I, I'm on board with all this stuff for sure, but I, I'm still stuck with I, I'm gonna I'm stuck with it being both. <laughs> with what being both? Evolution being both. A little, yeah. I like See, take a little of both. Counts well, that's and make I, my own little. Mash. I don't know. I mean, I I was thinking about Can that. I do it's, that. Does that work? No, because evolution is or just, is it it's not, no, 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 because this explains why, why species pop out of, out of nowhere, right? How all of a sudden a species is created and it, it stabilizes either or no, cause you're not, you're not Dar Darwinian. I'm not asking you though. No, no, hang on. I'm just, <laughs> because it's really interesting talking to, to Gene because reading it is really, it's, you know, it's pretty intense and in reading it all, but, but talking about it has really made me realize that maybe this hybridization does explain all of evolution. Like over time, things hybridize and then it and then it stabilizes yeah well i mean it's <laughs> on a broader level it's like you know producing a new karyotype you can produce a new karyotype then um you've got a um new type of organism right away but that doesn't that doesn't always happen with hybridization isn't always required for that but typically you know most of those processes that's the case it is um, I'm having a little problem here with my uh, charge uh, going down. It plugged in. I'm in one of my wife's office because it was um, quieter in here, and um, 
I, uh, Hang on. just a minute. Yeah, sure. I, I'm going to try to plug into a different socket. Okay. Okay. So, so there you go, Darren. I mean, we can, you know, your, your wolf and, uh, sheep, your wolf and, uh, dolphin thing might, you know, might be possible. I wasn't trying to go against you. I'm just trying to get a different perspective on evolution, right? I know. I think my wolf thing is, is possible the other way. No, I don't think too. so. It's possible both ways. The evidence doesn't, doesn't, con, you know, confirm Darwin, I don't think. Like, when you look at the evidence in his work here. No, I'm not all in either. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that's so why I'm asking if it can be. Is it an either, all, is yeah. it an either or? Is it going to be? Sorry about both? that. Not the best thing to have in the middle of the show. Oh, no, it's all good. Oh, we've had crazy <laughs> I was just asking if it's an either or scenario or if it's possible that it could be an amalgamation of both. Well, uh oh, just a minute. Okay. I know what's wrong. Yeah, sure. Okay. Hello? Yeah. Hello? Yeah. Can you hear us? Uh, yeah. yeah, that was. I had to crawl underneath the desk to plug that in, and then I didn't realize when I came back that I had taken my headphones off, so I was saying, hello, hello. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah, maybe you can edit that out. I don't know. But uh, so. So, yeah, Darren was asking if, if he still thinks it can be either, or, or he's asking. No, I was asking if if it's in your in your hypothesis, is it, is it room for, is it an either or thing or is it, is, does it leave room for an amalgamation of both theories? Yeah. Well, it's like I was saying, like, um, remember I was talking about once you establish this new stable karyotype, you can still have variation in the genes. So the karyotype might stay the same. Like it's like you go around with all the different humans that are reproducing with each other. Yeah. They're all producing the same karyotype that they have. But there's all this genic variation, this allelic variation, where you have, say, blue eyes and brown eyes, you know, et cetera. Uh, that's caused by uh, variation at particular loci. Uh, that's the location of a gene on a chromosome. Like there might be a eye color locus or a hair color locus. And there's variation going on there. but the variation is limited because uh, you can't get away from the karyotype. And all that allelic variation follows all the sort of rules that uh, Darwinian or population genetics type of evolution uh, specifies. Uh, it's just the thing that uh, is that that type of evolution leaves out all of these uh, processes that give you abrupt radical changes. But once you get the abrupt radical change, then you can say like, uh, well, you can like kill all the people that have blue eyes and eventually have a totally brown eyed population. That's the sort of selection that they're talking about. So does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does to me. Totally. I'm looking at it completely differently. So yeah. have you, have you yeah. ever... Go ahead, Darren. I want well, to I, yeah, I think I was more along the lines of, could it be like... Some you have say you have a crossbreed or a hybridization, and then that thing for maybe, um, like half a million years for no for habitual reasons because its habitat changes or whatever slowly changes into something place. better suited. Yeah, environmental changes. Yeah, like well, is there room for that and stabilization to to oh. incorporate some long term evolution? Yeah, well. 
to understand how that works under stabilization theory, it go back to talking about similarity sets. Um, and so, well, if you remember what I was saying with similarity set, that's like a set of organisms that like can be connected together in a, into a chain in terms of whether they're able to hybridize with each other. Yeah. Uh, so you might have like uh, a short chain would be pheasant hybridizes with rooster, rooster hybridizes with turkey, turkey hybridizes with uh, guinea hen. You know, that, that, that chain could go on and on. But um, so anyway, if you think of that as um, a population of populations, a population of forms, in other words, you have like uh, the set of all these different forms that can hybridize. Uh, at that point, you can get traits passed around in the new forms that they produce. In other words, say a uh, chicken can cross with a pheasant and produce some kind of new hybrid that has uh, uh, a comb like a chicken, but then it has uh, uh, wings like a pheasant. So it has characteristics from both of the parents. And it might be that hybrid will do well over evolutionary time or will just die out right away because it's not very suited to survival. But, but it uh, ain't changing. Whatever, but no, it's not changing. But uh, there's a selection under stabilization theory among forms. In other words, some forms that arise are much more viable, produce lots more uh, offspring forms. They, like the chicken, I think probably is going to be a big champion uh, over time because it can hybridize, like I said, with 70 or I think even more like 80 uh, other types of birds that are treated as distinct species. So it's like you hybridize with huge numbers of other types of birds. So it could produce all these different types of <laughs> possibly even with humans. But uh, <laughs> it's this huge level of variation. It's like this champion hybridizer. The other types of birds for which no hybrids are produced at all. They're not going to, if any bird like that, if they really can't produce any offspring under stabilization theory, it's going nowhere. It's a dead end. <clears throat> Whereas chickens are producing all these different types of hybrids and some of them more viable than others. And so the ones that survive will have the traits that are favored by evolution. It's not, it's not selection among individuals, it's selection among these different forms that are being produced. And so you have uh, in this sort of scenario, you have like, say, a million years ago, you have a particular uh, similarity set made up of a particular set of birds. Uh, and they have, since then, some of those types have died out. Others have produced offspring and persisted. Others have uh, just persisted without producing offspring forms. Uh, but there's the between then and now, the composition of that similarity set has changed so that some have been eliminated, some new forms have arisen, and some forms have persisted unchanged. But uh, presumably, whatever types have persisted and uh, whatever types have uh, arisen and also persisted, um, those are going to be the ones that have the traits that allow you to survive, because they have survived. Um, yeah. And so, and so it might be that say, uh, if we're talking about birds, it might be they're good at flying. Um, the ones that have survived are good at flying. The ones that 
or not have been eliminated. And so you're having uh, uh, that trait of the ability to fly changing and improving over time. But it's not changing within a population, it's changing as you produce uh, all these manifold different types of organisms. Uh, and then some of them are surviving better than others. Another characteristic that uh, uh, is helpful, and it's kind of parallel to what uh, Darwin talked about, but it's not the same because you're talking about forms instead of individuals. Like under Darwin, you're talking about producing lots of individual offspring, where hybridization or stabilization theory, you have hybridization, uh, say the chicken's producing all these different types of offspring. So that's why I'm saying, well, probably the chicken's going to produce something that's uh, highly viable, highly survivable. It's going to uh, produce some sort of super offspring eventually because it hybridizes so much. Uh, it produces so many offspring forms. And, and so it may be that eventually uh, uh, there will be something that's uh, surviving long-term, evolutionarily surviving long-term that's produced by a chicken. The chicken's long gone, but it has these traits that it got from the chicken that made it you know, really a contender. Well, humans seem to be like that, right? I mean, the way we crossbreed and hybridize with uh, all the different, you know, lineages that we have sent back since, you know, from 6 million years ago. Yeah. Or, you know, like, uh, it's, it's, but then again, like what the, the thing you're talking about there is within humans, like within carrier yeah, yeah, type. Yeah. Yeah. So like, Oh, when you're talking about these similarity sets, you're essentially talking about sets of uh, forms that are, I don't know, they're characterized, they're defined by their karyotype, they're distinct karyotypes. And so uh, that sort of variation you're talking about is the Darwinian type, where it's within the karyotype. Oh, okay. And I mean, again, it's just, just within the stabilization theory way of thinking about things. It's not, uh, uh, you, can, you can explain a lot of things also, you know, with Darwinian theory uh, and thinking, I mean, lots of people that think exclusively in those terms. Yeah, it's actually hard. a lot more people. There it's are a lot more people to think of those. It's hard to get out of it. You know, we've been we've been groomed to to think in these dogmatic paradigms. Like, and and we've had a few episodes where the the mainstream science itself, if you look at it all, it shows the opposite of what the paradigm is. You know, whether it's uh, humans coming out of Asia instead of Africa, or whether it's uh, about consciousness instead of the materialistic you know way we live with, uh, you know, us being just. Uh, you know, a meat puppet or whatever. And then, and then you've got uh, this evolution stuff where the fossil record is against Darwinism and you're, what you're showing in hybridization and stabilization, it's all science. You've got all the footnotes, all the research, you've got pages and pages and pages of scientific material on this. And I think it's showing against this, this paradigm as well. So what was your, your... go ahead. No, what's your question? Well, I mean, I wanted to know what your transition was from, you know, your decades of research into into realizing that this. I mean, I, I don't. I, it was kind of more of a comment, but I am interested in how you, you switched over, like, or or your your shift, you know, into uh, into this paradigm, this new one. Yeah. Well. Uh... I guess uh, I think of it as like there's this famous mathematician Gauss, who uh, he said that like you should never 
uh, present your proof in the way that you figured it out. You should always uh, try to figure out an elegant way of presenting it that is not the way you originally figured it out, but it's but it's the way that people uh, makes understand the best, it. Makes the makes and no, that makes the best sense mathematically. Right. Uh, but 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 that's not always the way that you come upon things. So uh, from uh, the elegant way of talking about it, uh, my thing would be to say first. Uh, you look at the fossil record and you see that the typical organism, the typical new form of life in the uh, fossil record arises abruptly and then stays essentially unchanged up to the time of its extinction. And then you say, well, Darwinian theory doesn't seem to account for that very well because uh, it's described as a process where uh, you have a population that's absorbing mutations gradually over time until it becomes something new that can no longer interbreed with the populations that it uh, diverged from. Uh, it's a gradual, continuous process. It's not abrupt, and there's gradual change, whereas what you see in the fossil record is an abrupt uh, origin followed by no change. That's the typical thing. And so uh, given that, uh, you look for processes, biological processes, documented processes that can give you that sort of phenomenon. In other words, if you cross two organisms and they uh, produce a new karyotype uh, that is uh, reproductively stable so that the uh, offspring are going to have the same karyotype, then you're going to have an immediate change followed by stability, which parallels the fossil record. So in other words, uh, you've constructed a theory that fits the observation. Uh, but um, from there, you go on to say, well, uh, humans, uh, if you have these processes that typically involve hybridization, why should humans be any exception? So I'll look and see uh, what type of hybrid humans might be. So that would be the elegant way of explaining it all. But what really happened was uh, back in the early 80s, uh, I uh, had recently graduated with my math degree. I didn't have any background in biology. Mm -hmm. And I was reading Origin of Species, and Darwin was talking about um, uh, that there are uh, lots of hybrids that are able to produce offspring. And um, that's something that I just never imagined. I thought, well, you know, they're all like the mule. Um, and, and incidentally, the mule, the common mule does occasionally produce offspring and back crosses to horses and to donkeys. but. Let's not get sidetracked in that, but uh, this, this idea that uh, hybrids occur, they occur in natural settings. Darwin talked about this sort of stuff, and I think it's the eighth chapter of the um, Origin of Species. And so that set me to thinking, well, I'd always been interested in human uh, evolution, human origins. And so I thought, just essentially just on a lark, I decided to start looking to see what sort of traits, because I had read... Uh, you know, how do you identify, uh, read up on how you identify hybrids and what biologists do to identify hybrids is they look at the uh, putative hybrid uh, that they, you know, the 
organism they think might be hybrid, and they then uh, try to decide what it's most like uh, as uh, a likely way of finding one of its two parents. And then they distinguish the putative hybrid from that uh, putative parent and get a list of the distinctions. And so I just applied that same method to humans. I thought, well, they say chimpanzee is our closest relative. At that time, bonobos were not really very much talked about. Uh, it was only initially that I started looking into bonobos more carefully. But I mean, from the standpoint of pig and human, um, or pig and chimpanzee, like a bonobo is not very much different from a chimpanzee in comparison to a pig. Uh, but what I did is I made this list. I, I didn't go through and uh, decide that these things were human distinctions on my own. I looked through and saw what anthropologists said, you know, physical anthropologists comparing anatomy and, um, you, know, you know, what experts on um, human uh, uh, origins and human relationships said were distinctive about humans in comparison to uh, chimpanzees. And I just made a list of all of that. And as I said, I think earlier in the show, it's like I came to realize that these um, characteristics that they said uh, distinguished chimpanzees, they would add very often, they would say, and not only distinguishes us from chimpanzees, but from all other primates. They would add that all other primates a lot. And so I started making this long list and and eventually um, from looking at certain characteristics like naked skin and uh, you know fat layer under the skin and intelligence and um, various other traits, I started to think, well, maybe uh, I should look at pigs since um, the fact was that they kept saying that it was a non-human primate. Um, I mean, that, that, excuse me, that humans are distinct from all other primates. That meant that either we weren't a hybrid or we had to be a hybrid between a chimpanzee and something outside of primates. Um, right. And so, th I mean, that was the thing. It's like I had to either give up at that point or I had to like think what kind of animal could give us these traits that are not like uh, other primates. And so then when I look through, uh, it's about a hundred different traits. Uh, they all turned out to be in pigs. Uh, all these different characteristics from the shape of our condyles and our knees, uh, which are elliptical, uh, whereas in like other uh, primates, they're circular, or uh, the fact that under uh, the tips of our fingers and our toes, we have these hoof-like processes they're not present in other uh, primates. They're called ungual tuberosities. Uh, and they look like little hooves. So where would these little hooves come from? Uh, well, if there's a ungulate parent involved, then that becomes clear. Or uh, you have things like uh, in our skin, the um, unlike other primates, our arteries that feed the skin rise up like little trees perpendicular to the skin from below. They come up through a fat layer uh, to feed the skin, whereas in other primates, they run parallel through the skin. And so if you look to see what other organisms have that, it's essentially pigs, 
and uh, then marine organisms. They have this fat layer that's penetrated by uh, uh, arteries running it perpendicular to the skin. And they have the same sort of uh, uh, insulation and cooling system we have uh, with our skin. The, the fat layer acts as an uh, insulator and in, in kind of in the place of hair, but uh, you can increase or decrease the level of blood flow to the skin by constricting these arteries that pierce the fat layer. And so you can either dissipate heat or conserve it by um, expanding or contracting the arteries that run through the skin. And this is the same sort of system that pigs have and that marine organisms have. So anyway, it's just on and on with all these different traits. And uh, or like another one is like the presence of vocal cords. They, in chimpanzees, they're, uh, they're always trying to make uh, similarities, uh, find similarities wherever they can with uh, chimpanzees because it's good for the primatologists. It's good for business. To, the more similar they are to humans, the better for them. So they, there are these things in the larynx of chimpanzee they call vocal folds. Uh, and I've even seen some of them call vocal cords, but they're just these ridges of cartilage kind of in the same position where we have real vocal cords. Uh, which are like these uh, uh, ligaments that can be tensed and uh, to you know, like produce different pitches, and uh, and also the aperture running between them can be changed to you know change the tone. And um, chimpanzees don't have that. They whereas pigs have vocal lig ligaments that are yellow like ours. They look the same. You look at, if you look at theirs, it looks like ours. If you look at a photograph of them, um, the only difference is that they have two sets where we have one set and chimpanzees have zero sets. Hmm. So, so uh, has anyone uh, ever tried to... inseminating a pig with a chimp or vice versa? Well, I mean, either... is that illegal? <laughs> uh, it would, as far as I know, it would be legal. Like uh, the only illegalities uh, are when humans are involved. Actually, there's this uh, Jesuit priest that has been a big enthusiast about this. He's in communication with him about. It. He he says that you know there should be no ethical problem with actually producing like a hybrid from non-human parents like that. I mean, like so, if if somebody like that says it, I mean, I guess. I guess it's okay. I mean, because I guess you're going to have any sort of objection, it'd be from the religious element, not from. Um... We should do a Kickstarter. You've got to keep in mind, though, you know, like uh, think about those uh, turkey chicken crosses where you have to do a thousand inseminations. What, I mean, how many you're going to have to. I, I guess the thing is, you'd probably want to like imprint a pig on a chimpanzee and then just let them be together. Because if you had to sit there and do all those artificial inseminations, it would, you know, we'll it could boss. be like this. Yeah, yeah, but it could be like a kind of an endless process. So you you went down this path early then, right? But that that was right yeah, after yeah, your yeah, yeah, right yeah, after yeah, your. I never really, yeah, I never really finished that. Yeah, I, I, I uh, once I uh, thought so, that the evidence was really good that we were hybrids, and not only hybrids, but hybrids of that type, that general type. Uh, then I started thinking, well, why should humans be the exception? Why, why should it not be that hybridization is not more prevalent? And then uh, when I went to graduate school, it was like a few years, like I did most of this research before I even 
went to graduate school because I, I found that I wasn't understanding the genetics. Whenever genetics was come up, coming up, I wouldn't understand it. Right. And so I decided to go and learn genetics. And uh, we had a really good genetics uh, program. And so I went into it. Apparently a pretty open-minded one too. Like you've got your PhD in this, even though you were sort of going down this, was it harder? Yeah, for well, you? Actually, they knew about all the pig stuff before I ever went into the program. <laughs> I mean, they knew about it. Yeah. They're, I mean, they they kind of have like, uh, sat on the fence. And, um, <laughs> I mean, but, but they knew about it. Um, but I was going to say though, is that I found uh, when I was going to, like, you know, we had, you have to read millions of papers in graduate school. Like a lot of the papers were on like, uh, punctuate equilibrium because, uh, the, uh, department that I went to and the program that I was in, it was like, uh, emphasized, uh, evolutionary biology as population genetics. And so uh, when I became aware of uh, the pattern in the fossil record that, uh, in particular, uh, Niles Eldridge and Stephen Jay Gould, uh, you know, wrote a lot about, um, you know, this idea of abrupt origins uh, followed by stability. And that's when I realized the hybridization fit that pattern and that that was very good evidence that uh, the scenario described by Darwin was wrong, or I should say, it's inconsistent with that, and that the uh, idea that a typical organism arose by uh, stabilization processes associated with hybridization was consistent with that finding, that general finding about the fossil record. So that point i started writing up stabilization theory i'd already written up all the stuff about not all the stuff but most of the stuff about pigs before i ever went to graduate school hmm. uh, and then long after that i mean i went into graduate school in 1989 i got my uh, masters in uh was 95 and then i was out of uh, grad school for a couple of years and then i went back in uh 2000, I got my PhD in 2003. Um, but even at that time, I uh, didn't publish anything about the pig stuff because the genetic aspect of it always puzzled me. It's like I, I, I always thought, well, I should be able to find more there than I'm finding. But then finally, finally, like maybe about five years ago, I realized that you can get an organism like us uh, if speaking in terms of the genetics, um, by uh, repeated back crossing or by gradual diversion. So it doesn't, the genetics simply just doesn't distinguish between the two. If you have this organism that arose by uh, back crossing anciently, it's going to like look very similar, unless you're like, you know, pouring over the genome with massive amounts of money, you can you're probably never going to find uh, a difference uh, uh, between those two hypotheses on the basis of genetics. But if you look at the uh, traits, the traits are pretty persuasive. I mean, just the uh, fact that we're the only two organisms that share this unique kidney form is, uh, you know, pretty puzzling if you're not going to think of it but in terms of hybridization. But, but when you add on these like uh, 
many, many other trades, it, it becomes um, very hard to understand in terms of neo-Darwinian theory. It becomes very difficult to understand because you have to make up a little just set of story for each of the different traits, whereas uh, with the pig explanation, you've got like an across-the-board explanation for all of it, which is always a lot more comfortable uh, when you're theorizing. If you've got one thing that explains everything, um, and you don't have to make up a lot of little stories about each different little thing, then uh, that's just intellectually more satisfactory. Uh, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, don't you think? I mean, is, is that that's just the yeah uh, basic. I, I, I totally agree. That's, that's the basic thing you're looking for with any kind of theory. Yeah, is something simple that explains everything. Bingo, so, bingo. so, so has it been a difficult? Uh, I mean, you, you must have put up with quite a bit of resistance over the years. I mean, how's your theory gained ground lately? And like, what are you doing in the future to uh, well, to keep this going? Or are you? Oh, yeah, yeah, like, um, I mean, I think of this, uh, I mean, I have to do what's, you know, within my uh, means and ability. Um, I mean, I can't start a human genome project on my own, but uh, I can compile uh, all this information about um, hybrids, and especially distant hybrids, uh, some of which, you know, if you actually take the time to read through it, uh, starts to convince you that these distant hybrids can occur even more distant than pig and chimpanzee. I mean, I, mean, I, I invite you to look through uh, the chicken-human stuff that I've compiled. It's, um, it's kind of amazing um, that you, know, you have, I mean, these are scholars from you know, a couple of centuries ago, uh, but they're scholars and they you know, describe in detail what uh, they found. So if you have more than one case, and and then like uh, that's supplemented, the chicken thing <laughs> is uh, like there are also lots of reports in newspapers like these chickens uh, hatched out on farms that have a human hand attached to the rear end, uh, and then like uh, or like uh, you know a news report in like like say a New York newspaper about this guy that like went down to the corner to like pick up a chicken. And then he realized when he got it home, he's getting ready to cut his head off. It had a human face, and so like he's like going into business, showing it in sideshows, and uh, so it's it's like all this stuff that um, you wouldn't think would be there. Um, I mean, I, 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 I suppose you know you could explain all these reports, you know, in terms of like some sort of like um, uh, love of you know creating a hoax. I mean, like you know, people talk about you know jackalope, you know, or like yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. make jokes about hybrids, but uh, it, it kind of like the fact that people do that kind of obscures the fact that some of these things uh, seem to exist. I mean, like I can think of various things. Where I remember there's one like a um, report in a newspaper about um, this is like a, not like a big newspaper, it's like a local newspaper. I think it was in Pennsylvania where farmer so and so they had his name. Uh, lived outside of town, had a um, um, animal that was born to a sheep that had like a dog from the navel up was like a dog. And then from the navel back was like a sheep. And uh, there were hundreds of people, you know, the whole town had gone to see it. 
And uh, I mean, this is something that like ordinary biologists, I mean, like you know, most people in biology would say that's impossible, but they don't have any reason to, they don't have any clear reason why it's impossible. They say things like, well, uh, their parents have different numbers of chromosomes, but there are, there are all sorts of cases, um, like uh, legit say, cases that 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 are yeah, there are some cases yeah. where you know they, like, uh, well even like uh, say um, uh, donkey and zebra there's like a difference in the chromosome counts there of about sixteen or uh, you have uh, sheep and goat that's a well documented cross uh, I think the one has like uh, what is it I don't want to say the wrong thing I think fifty four chromosomes the other one has sixty or you have uh, these uh, two types of munchaks across one of them has, I think, 41 uh, pairs of chromosomes. The other one has seven, but they produce hybrids. So it's it's not um, as if you can dismiss on that basis. And then you know, they'll say, well, they have different um, gestation periods um, uh, that you, know, you can't produce hybrids between organisms, different gestation periods. But that's something that, you know, like, I, 2,000 years ago, Pliny was saying that. It's just something that Pliny, you know, like, I think even maybe like Aristotle uh, said that. It's, it's, there's no basis uh, on which you could say that. And then there are exceptions like, uh, uh, was a dolphin and false killer whale there? Because there's a difference in something like about four months in their gestation period lengths, but they've produced hybrids. Yeah, that's fascinating. I, it's, 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 um, Graham's a hybrid. <laughs> hobbit, hobbit, and a, I'm a hobbit yeah. and a giant hybrid. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, that's a, nothing is good about this series. Like it's like it makes it possible to produce lots of jokes too. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so you're going to continue. You're going to continue. Um, you know, accumulating all this stuff. And is there any yeah, yeah, plans? Yeah, well, I'm going to continue. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, I'm, I'm. It's not only because I'm interested, but it's just like just kind of strengthening the case. I mean, I yeah, figure exactly. I've got all of these. Uh, cases uh then anybody that wants to look at them you have to take time to look and that's that's a big disadvantage in my mind of this theory is that you have to actually sit there and educate yourself about hybrids otherwise it seems extremely far-fetched i mean to the person like i said the person on the street that you know the only thing they've ever heard of is the common mule and no other hybrids except for maybe like flower hybrids in their garden um, it just seems crazy because they know nothing about it. They know yeah. nothing about it, and they uh, think that uh, they have these preconceptions that have existed for thousands of years. Uh, it's, it, it's it's like almost like uh, the biologists have like just uh, taken these uh, old ideas and just incorporated it into evolutionary theory, like the idea of reproductive isolation. Uh, that comes from this old idea you know, the Greeks and the Romans had that, you know, got to keep those species separate. Uh, they can't, they can't mix. If they start mixing, uh, then they're going to be merging and they're not going to be species anymore. And so the gods have given them this special characteristic of not being able to interbreed. So the, in this case, the biologists are their gods. They've given this uh, special characteristic to these species that they don't interbreed. But this is, I mean, if you look at actual evidence, I mean, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of documented crosses where they're known to do it. And they're, so it's just like this big disconnect. 
it's a, it's a big disconnect between the observation and the theory. Yeah. Well, you definitely... And then they, they, they cover it by just closing ranks and saying, oh, that's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've definitely got a huge bedrock of, you know, of information here on your website, macroevolution.net, and you've got the theory and the origins, the hybrids, um, PDFs, the dictionary, the roots. You've got, you know, um, yeah, some of the stuff like the dictionary and the roots is just like kind of like, I, don't know, I think it's kind of like a street corner to kind of draw in traffic, you know, to like kind of feed them off into the stuff I'm actually more interested in. Yeah, but, uh, it's it's kind of like it. Uh, uh, just bringing people in that might not otherwise think about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, oh, so, you've got all the biologists listed. I mean, and it's just, but it's just a lot of, a lot of work you've put into this. I mean, I got, you know, I got the PDF. It was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages of, of deep, you know, scientific work. So it's like, you've got the bedrock already. Now you're adding, adding content to it constantly to keep, um, you know, to keep these, these things, uh, documented so if anybody needs to go and look at this it's it's all here yeah i mean if you go to that page like uh it's like mammalian hybrids articles it's kind of like the lower down you go on that page the more mind expanding it becomes there's some cases down there that are kind of like poorly documented like i say like i just create a page each time i find something but uh if you go down that page your mind expands um because you know, a lot of those things as you go down there are like repeated over and over like by many different eyewitnesses so you got to you know, at that point either like just reject multiple eyewitnesses or change your consciousness so i mean my, my consciousness has been changing oh yeah yeah oh yeah ours has too with doing the show we've we've both had we've both had episodes where we've completely changed our our way of thinking so yeah i mean it's been great having you on the show yeah well i yeah, i've enjoyed here it's like uh, i guess we covered it enough i don't know uh, I well, we'll link to all the, I, I think all the so, stuff yeah. on your website so our listeners can go go through there yeah it's like and some of it is like uh some of it i still can't believe it myself it's like some of the stuff is so uh the stuff that's been reported is almost unbelievable to me it's just it's just amazing to me that these i mean Things have apparently, I mean, I'll I, I say one last thing uh, before we get off, but like uh, I, I include a lot of news reports, which it might seem to be like kind of iffy for it to yeah. be yeah. news. But uh, I, I guess one reason I did that is that uh, my wife is a longtime reporter and I've seen the sort of stuff that uh, they get subjected to with their editors. Yeah. Uh, and if they get any little thing wrong, you know, they get punished. They, they get in trouble. And uh, they can't get any little thing wrong. And, and so it's it's almost as if, um, I mean, my same experience with scientists, by, by comparison, you know, scientists, it's kind of a slack situation. I mean, it's, it's like these guys, uh, I, this one guy in our department, he got in trouble because he was like making up his data. I mean, if you did that, one time, if you made up like quotes or stuff like that, one time at the newspaper where my wife worked for years, you would be out. Obviously, that she wasn't be, working. That, that for, would be the end. But that guy's still working there. Obviously, and she wasn't was, working for CNN. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I also like you know, this is maybe in a former time. You know? Yeah, maybe. I mean, Good maybe old days before, before fake news. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah, yeah, because uh, uh, she, um, I mean, has been incredibly accurate, and, they, and all of her colleagues were incredibly concerned with being every little thing accurate, every name spelled correctly, every fact correct. And, uh, so, and so that's why I tend to trust these things. And, that, and then the other thing about uh, those news reports is that you've got some small town and they say, well, uh, Mr. John B. Jeffries, uh, a mile and a half outside of town, has this uh, thing that was born to a sheep that has a dog's head and a sheep's rear end. Uh, Mr. Jeffries would not take kindly to the local little newspaper making up all this stuff about him. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they would. He would I mean, they just wouldn't go over well in a little town. So, I think that it's unlikely uh, that a lot of that stuff is made up. I mean, there, you know, could be some other explanation, I guess, but I don't know what it would be. But I don't think that it's they're, that they're lying or that it's a hoax. In such cases, it's. Uh, you know, maybe some sort of misinterpretation, but yeah. Well, you sure have accumulated a lot of a lot of news stories too. I mean, you go to the news section of your website, and oh yeah, it's it's just full of. I mean, you're, yeah, way more stuff. Than yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, my next plan is uh, I've done all of like America and uh, essentially Canada too, but now I'm going to go to England and take that back. Oh, that'll be interesting. Go into detail because like <laughs> I've, I've I've scarcely touched that, but. Anyway, I, I, we're going on like two hours. You said you didn't want to go much more than that. So I don't know if you want to stop here. I'm, I'm, I'd be happy to talk to you anytime. But yeah, we yeah we should uh, we should wrap it up here. Okay. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for all the info and. Oh well, yeah, well, thanks for having me. I enjoy talking about it. Each time I talk about it, I find it gets a little bit more organized in my own mind. So yeah, that's great. Yeah, we'll put all the links in the show notes and stuff too. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll keep in touch and, and continue with your. Uh, your good work. Yeah, I really enjoyed talking with you guys. And we'll let you know if we can organize any sort of a pig chimp Kickstarter campaign. <laughs> maybe someone, maybe one of the listeners yeah, can set yeah. it up. I mean, like, I, I guess, like, uh, I'm a little, little hesitant about that because, like, I, because <laughs> the you know the first hybrid, you know, it's it's not going to be anything close to human. It's going to be something like very weird. Yeah, well, then you just uh, got to get a chimp to fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I, especially if you're talking about bonobos, there will there'll be no problem there. I yeah, think. exactly, exactly. The bonobo will go right for it. Each yeah, and then also like, like pigs, there's no problem. Like you, it's like any kind of like tube mounted on a sawhorse, and they're there. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably a good place to end it off. Thanks, Gene. Okay. All right. Well, good talking with you. All right. We'll we'll send you a link when it's when it's done. We'll keep in touch. Yeah, I'll look forward to the masses of traffic on my side. Right on. Okay. <laughs> okay. Take care. Bye for now. Okay. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. Big thanks, Gene, for coming on the show. That was a good one. Yeah, that was interesting. I was I spent so much time on on the the deep PDF with all the genetic stuff and the and the the science that I, I missed the whole like the website, the depth of the website and the hybrids and stuff. I really didn't expect it to go to that. To that. Who was our other guest talking about the pig chimp thing? Gordon White. Was it Gordon White? Do you think he got it from him? I, I think know. I think he started it. The pig, the pig, the pig chimp thing. I don't know. I think Gordon listens. He can let us know. Yeah, that was that was interesting. So, what do you think? I mean, honestly, I after talking to him now, I, I have I room for it get for that... sure. I have room for it for sure, but I have I have trouble applying it to the whole thing. It's too soon. I need some time. Yeah. 
Yeah, you need some time to ponder it. Like I, I absolutely believe there's room for it, but I think it's. I don't think I I couldn't apply it to the whole board yet. I don't think you could apply Darwin to the whole board either. I think it's probably a combination of both, and then maybe some more shit that you know someone else is gonna come up with. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, I, more people believe I did that want, the Earth yeah. is like ten thousand years old than anything else. I did want to get into. Uh, is that how Muslims end up too? No, oh, six thousand. I think it was is that where Muslims? Yeah. No, Muslim? I don't know about Muslims. I bet you it's close. You think? Mm-hmm. Oscar. Buddy Marsman. Tomorrow. Muslim, you mean? No, no, no. Our listener that, uh, our new listener, the one-star rating guy, he was a converted, um, Jehovah, Oh, he would know. I, I was so. going to say Omar. Yeah. Oh, okay. Tomorrow. Me I'm going to find out. Yeah, sure. How See old what he thinks. Hmm. Yeah. Well. well. Anyways, yeah. Yeah. It's a good one. <laughs> so, a wolf fucked a dolphin, a fish. <laughs> No, it just happened. It happened slowly, probably thousands of times to get there. That's right. I buy that thousands of times, and then you need one in a thousand, and then you need to back engineer it. And but that all happens over millions of years, right? But species aren't around for millions of years. What do you mean? And then you've got to get these breeding populations all alive at the same time, so that they can be breeding with each other. So you can't have one this week and one in ten years. Or you need to get a million yeah. dolphins and a million wolves together. Yeah. Okay. I know. What, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, but just, maybe it happens like in in herds more often than you think. Sexy herds. Sexy gangbangs. <laughs> if we had show titles, that would be it. All right, guys, check out grammarica.ca/support for all the different ways you can help us keep having these. Uninterrupted commercial free chats, 230 plus for free. Um, yeah, grabamerica.ca slash support. Sign up for a, well, a buck a month or more. Uh, do a one-time donation. Spam, grab, share the show, review the show. Sign up for the newsletter. Uh, most of all, tell your friends about this motherfucker. Anything else to add? No, I think that was good, man. Thanks for listening, and, and it's been, been good. Looking forward to a couple good months of this stuff. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. They threw me to the wolves. Playing a game, ganging up on me. My game's no rules. But you can't face me, cause I'm crazy. Grooving to the tambourine. Riding in my Lamborghini. Eating on some tangerine. Riding in my limousine, eating 
Spare 